Yeah. And then are we ready to let in the public? Yeah. Okay. You just have to have the backup audio on these five times. Ready? Yes. All right. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the June 6th monthly meeting of the Multimodal Transportation Commission. My name is Nick Kuzmiak. I'm the current chair, and we're going to get started with, with our, our five o'clock study session. So um, I'm still waiting for my agenda to load, but Dave, you could probably. Yeah. Well, you wait for your agenda to load or go over the housekeeping items. So thanks. Uh, Commissioner Kuznack and good evening everyone. Um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking, if you're participating remotely. Uh, the chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to staff. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. And when you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send us a chat. Uh, the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Um, and so if it's all right with you, we'll have uh, Christina do the role. Well, I guess we don't need to do the role because no one's online. So we have, we see who is here. Um, so we'll just go ahead and uh, start with you going to the study session. All right. Um, do we need to do introductions first? Probably not a bad idea. So since we have two brand new members, welcome. Um, let's go around the horn if we can. And let's just do maybe, you know, like a minute or two for each person to kind of say who they are, um, maybe what neighborhood you live in how long you've been on MMTC and what your kind of major interest is in transportation. Does that sound good? So Pat, we'll start with you. Great. Um, hi, I'm, I'm Pat Collette and uh, I've been on the uh, MMTC for a year and a half. Um, I live in the Pioneer Ridge neighborhood, which is at, basically at 6th and Schwartz, uh, just off from 6th Street. Um, I'm a cyclist and, and so uh, that's my primary interest, but I also uh, worked um, and retired from the KU Transportation Research Center. Um, and so a lot of interest in public transit, pedestrian and bikes, but uh, personally, mostly a, a cyclist, so. Okay. okay, I'm Laura Bennett and uh, I live over, uh, on Stone Meadow, so I live near Castle and Bob Billings, and uh, I'm a physical therapist, and I have just a you know interest in mobility issues and transit in general. But I think everything bicycle safety is a real interest of mine, um, and I, I'm just really looking forward to participating and learning more. Certainly glad to have you on. Thank you. So, welcome. I'm Erin Payton, and I have been on the MMTC since uh, its start, so almost six years. Um, and I live over behind the Stone Bison off of Clinton Parkway. 
Um, and my uh, interest in transportation uh, and transportation planning started uh, when I was in graduate school for urban planning. Um, I was really there for land use and uh, interested in habitat preservation, but it kind of got me into transportation. Um, and then moving to Boulder, Colorado, got me more into it. Coming back made me want to work on bicycle and pedestrian issues. My name is Nick Kuzmiak. I'm the current chair of the MMTC. Um, I live in East Lawrence, but that's pretty recent. I used to live in Pinkney neighborhoods. It's still kind of core. Um, see, I've been on here for three or four years now, probably four because I've been chaired twice now. So um, my main interest, I would say, is kind of broad. It's the nexus of transportation and land use policy. Um, I find it's pretty fascinating how those two intersect and how they control kind of every aspect of our lives, it seems. So I'm always looking for those links. Yeah. I'm Damon Baltuska. I've been on MMTC since just October last year. Um, I live in the Pinckney neighborhood over by the hospital. And uh, yeah, my interest in transportation uh, comes proud of with biking to work. Um, I work downtown, so I've been biking to work primarily for the past three plus years. And that's, that's how I got into all this. So. Uh, my name is Douglas Redding. I lived here almost all of my life in Lawrence, Kansas. I live in the southeast Lawrence, uh, close between uh, 19th and 23rd off Haskell. And my primary interests are making sure that every type of person is able to easily traverse Lawrence uh, as a whole particularly the younger ones who don't drive and the older ones who shouldn't drive, which someday I'm going to be in that club and I'd like to be able to get across town and get groceries. Thank you. Um, you don't need to. My name is Will Sharp. Meeting with the MMTC. I live near the Barker neighborhood, 18th in Vermont. And my primary interests are uh, biking and pedestrian infrastructure as well as accessibility. And then Commissioner Bryan. Uh, my name is uh, Charlie Bryan and I've been on MMTC uh, since it was uh, started. And my interest started, I think, when I uh, was assigned to some, do some work around transportation planning at the, <clears throat> at the health department. Uh, and initially I was a representative representative of the health department here um, until our commission decided to just appoint everyone at large. So I've been just citizen at large since then. I think that's everybody, unless somebody's joined online, but I got to say, right? Um, well, in that case, let's go on with the study session topic for today, which actually ties into some of our agenda items as well, possibly. And that is, um, a discussion on how to process citizen traffic requests. And that's pretty broad. So Dave, I don't know if you had a preamble you wanted to go into first. Um, no, but I'll just kind of like walk through my memo uh, if I can. And if there's any uh, questions or comments as I go along, just feel free to chime in. But I know at our last meeting we kind of talked about, uh, or the last couple of meetings when we were talking about how we got requests through the non-motorized prioritization program and the call for projects. And then um, um, occasionally we get questions or uh, 
um, questions or requests from from neighborhoods on, on projects and and how we handle those. So I think um, we the answer is we handle them a, a little different depending on what the request is. And um, and I'll kind of walk through these. I kind of put them into different buckets or categories. Um, and uh, I can maybe go through a little bit about the history on some of them. So uh, the first one is traffic control requests. When you think about traffic control, it's uh, the main things are stop signs, yield signs, uh, speed limits, um, you know, regulatory signage, warning signage. The majority of the requests we get um, from the community are, are stop or yield signs. Um, so historically, um, um, those sorts of requests went through the Traffic Safety Commission before the Multimodal Transportation Commission 2017. Um, and after we created the Transportation Commission, we uh, started handling those requests administratively. And so when we get, uh, you know, a request to look at installing a stop sign, we will, uh, there's pretty clear guidance in the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, which is the uh, overarching document and uh, federal uh, guidelines and regulations on uh, traffic control. So we follow um, the warrants in there and then make uh, an engineering judgment and decision and um, follow up with the uh, the person that requested the uh, um, traffic control device. So uh, I think that's been uh, working pretty well as we've done it administratively and not going through um, uh, the board as we did uh, years ago. Um, the next uh, category is no parking requests. So we get a lot of no parking requests. Um, those are also handled administratively. Sometimes we get phone calls, some go through uh, uh, by, by email. But what we do on that when we uh, um, made some changes to the city code a few years ago um, to make these administratively. These two used to be um, reviewed by the Traffic Safety Commission on a case-by-case -case basis. So we would send out a notification, have a discussion here, um, and that, that uh, it, you know, took up a lot of time and there was really, quite frankly, a lot of it was unnecessary. So we've been handling these as well administratively. Uh, for the past uh, four years, three to four years. Um, so I listed a few um, uh, bullets there of where it's illegal to park, whether there's a signage or not. So in front of a public or private driveway, uh, 15 feet within a fire hydrant, 20 feet within a crosswalk, or 30 feet within uh, uh, a signal, stop sign, yield sign, or traffic control signal. Um, so although not all of those are marked, that's the, um, by law, whether it's marked or not, those, those are the requirements for, for no parking as far as distance, um, between, from those different, uh, devices. Um, if we were to get, um, continual, uh, issues with, um, someone not parking or someone parking too close, uh, to a fire hydrant, for instance, um, sometimes we go out and put up signage, um, but we try, try to avoid putting up signage um, for all of these uh, locations because it would be a lot of signs. But uh, overall, that's the those are a few of the uh, exist, existing regulations in the uh, traffic ordinance. 
uh, for no parking. Um, but we also get a lot of no parking, particularly in neighborhoods where we have um, streets of different widths. So um, what we do um, for those sorts of requests, is I've put a list there of some uh, different situations. So um, streets that are uh, uh, less than 20 feet in width uh, should have could have no parking on both sides of the street, 20 to 30, um, no parking on one side, and roadways that are uh, over 30 feet are wide enough to have parking on both sides. So um, it's not uncommon to have you know a residential street, which is our our standard residential streets, 27 feet back to back or 26. So it would meet the requirement or the yeah the 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 guidelines to have no parking on one side but a lot of neighborhoods don't need don't need that regulation so unless there's a problem um you know most often there's parking on both sides of the street unless there's a problem and then we would if there was a request to review that we would look at um the width of the roadway um as well too as uh, some uh you know, there may be some situational things we look at as well, but primarily it's based off the width of the roadway. Um, so the other ordinance is um, adjacent to school property. If it were to interfere or create a hazard uh, to traffic, so there's uh, with uh, school circulation patterns, there may be a need to have no parking on streets adjacent to schools where cars are queuing up or standing. Um, and um, so that kind of ties into the, the final bullet point there of, of if there's an instance where parking of vehicles would create a hazardous condition or cause delay to traffic. So that can be something that may, may be a special circumstance that it would not be common, but there may be uh, an, an instance where um, we need to make a judgment to, for the safety of traffic to, to implement no parking. So, um, to go a little further into that, if we were uh, to believe that the no parking, to, to have a new restriction on no parking, we would follow the procedures where we would uh, notify the requester. We send out mailers um, to those that are impacted um, to uh, let them know of our decision that we, uh, our administrative decision, uh, provide uh, 30 days to make comments. And then before we do make a final determination, we would uh, taken uh, to account the correspondence. So it could be a situation where uh, just just as a, an example, maybe one time someone, you know, there was uh, parking on both sides of the street for some sort of event that was just a one-off. And um, so there might be some situational details that we don't know about that uh, we do take in those comments uh, into effect before we make a final decision. But um, so that is uh, kind of the way that we process no parking requests. That again, as I mentioned, was a, a, a frequent request that the Traffic Safety Commission reviewed. And I think it, in my opinion as well, it's been, um, you know, handling those sorts of requests administratively has, has freed up at least this board from having to get into the weeds on some of those uh, requests. So. Any questions on no parking? I actually do have a question. Let's get started here. So could you walk us through maybe an example of how this would go? And 
I guess the, the other question is for you to provide an example. Are there any cases where a citizen request might be a yes parking thing where they do want parking on a street because maybe they think it'll slow down cars or something? I've, I've come across that, but it's been unofficial, so I don't know if that's ever made it as far as NSO. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, be, I think we probably had one, but the majority are, are removing parking. And is it over concerns of our sight lines or, um, I, I guess, what's the rationale usually given to a no parking request? Um, it, it depends, but really just that there's not enough room for two-way traffic on a street. Um, some streets, there's concerns about emergency vehicles being able to get through, uh, particularly if you have parking on both sides of a street continuously for a long stretch. Um, um, so that those are the most common situations. Um, the, Sorry, for the emergency one, then does the citizen have to make a request when they perceive that there could be an issue with emergencies that doesn't come from first responders or MSO? It's just like, oops, we forgot that there was parking on two sides of the street, but this is an emergency corridor. So like, for example, Fourth Street in Pinckney is designated, I think, some sort of designation as an ambulance corridor because it's right by the hospital. So in that case, you know, you can't do roundabouts there, right? Um, at least that's what I've been told. I'm not sure if that's true. but. If there were to be parking at both sides of the street there, could that constitute an issue under what bullet three, where there would be like a hazard to free and clear access? Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is there some sort of automated way that staff already knows where there are problems with emergency vehicle access, or do we have to wait until the citizen or, um, raises a concern? Yeah, good question. There have been instances where, um, uh, our first responders have brought up the issue to staff that weren't initiated by the citizens where if they were responding and couldn't get through or there was a concern that we um, proceeded with uh, reviewing the situation. Um, so I, I wouldn't say we have a list of known areas, but if, if one were to come up, you know, it, doesn't ha it doesn't have to be a citizen request to be reviewed. Um, so that, 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 has, that has occurred in the past. Sounds good. I think that's all I need to know for that one. Um, does anybody else have any questions on the, either the parking one or, or, <laughs> or um, sorry, what's the first one that we went over? The signal traffic control request. Are there any other questions on this? Commissioner O'Brien, I just wanted to know generally what's the number of requests that you're receiving? Is it like a dozen a year or 30 a year? Probably a dozen or more. Uh, no parking is two or three a month. Okay. And the stop a yield sign is maybe more like one a month. Thank you. That brings up a good point. Should we be introducing ourselves at every time we speak? Um, is there anybody who, yeah, I guess there are people on, online. So we should probably be introducing ourselves before we speak, right? I don't know. I, what are the rules I, anymore? <laughs> I think it's fine that not to. Okay. But maybe just um, uh, if anybody online is having trouble figuring out who's talking, if you could maybe send a message to Dave or Christina, who is ever honoring the chat, we can start introducing ourselves. But if not, let's just do this more streamlined. So, okay. Anybody else have questions before we go on to the third or fourth part here? <laughs> I have a, just a quick question, and I think it kind of applies to all of them, perhaps, but just in terms of um, where citizens lodge those complaints, is that, you know, I, I've looked at the website, but I haven't 
I haven't looked at it recently to know um, if that's a clear spot or do people typically call call your office or how are those how do, how does the community know how to contact to make yeah. requests? Um, it could be a call or email or through uh, Lawrence Listens okay. or some some somewhere online. So any number of okay. any number of ways, but we probably get about equal as many emails as we do phone calls. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. I've got one question. Mm -hmm. What's the rationale behind an intersection with no signage, no stop sign or yield sign? I think there's one in my mind near the hospital in Pinckney. Mm -hmm. um, and it always strikes me as odd that there's no sign at that intersection. Well, it would be, the treatment would be to yield. If there's no signage, it's yield. Mm -hmm. um, both, both approaches would yield. Um, so unless there was a, a reason based on a crash history or a reason that one street should be uh, should be stopped and one should be through that um, there's probably a lot of a few of those in town where there's no signage on either approach. So if there was a safety reason, bad visibility, um, we would look into seeing if it was appropriate to put in stop signs. But it, you know, the, the, it would be yield for both directions with no signage by ordinance. Okay, so we're going to school area traffic control and signal coordination and yeah, whatever's left. Sure, so a signal signal coordination, uh, um, I know we don't talk a lot about signal coordination with this board, but we do frequently get um, requests um, on signal coordination. We've been doing some uh, proactive review of our uh, signal timing, um, started that um, a couple years ago. Uh, worked on um, 6th Street, 23rd Street in Iowa last year. So we're looking at uh, the flow of traffic to optimize traffic flow and also looking at uh, pedestrian crossing times to make sure that they meet um, regulations. So those are being, those have been updated uh, last year on those corridors. This year we're looking at 9th Street, 19th Street, 2nd Street, and 15th Street. Um, so oh, we have a consultant on board that is um, helping us do that um, and um, we're looking so for this year for all those uh, quarters looking at every signal um, on those different streets to look at uh, timing plans and, and coordination um, so I, I don't you know even as we optimize signal coordination uh, you know that we're going to continue to get uh, feedback on coordination whether you're all you know we've linked we've shortened sometimes on some side roads on these major streets to keep uh, traffic flowing on, on the main line and so, so there may be more delay um, depending on where you're at or what time of day but we are um, trying to be a little more proactive and adaptive with schedules too so there could be uh, events um, that we're looking into event timing we are um, uh, different times of day, uh, weekday, weekend, so different different timings where we can um, try to optimize uh, traffic, particularly on our arterial streets. And you know, really want to optimize traffic on our arterial streets to get traffic off of uh, our collectors and residential streets. Um, 
school area traffic control. Um, so we have that school area traffic control policy and for the newer commissioners um, on the board, we uh, just um, uh, updated that last year. Um, so um, when we're looking at school area traffic control and that that's a link to the policy there on, on the memo, but school zones, school speed zones, school crossings and adult crossing guards. So um, the process for those requests um, we receive those. Those are uh, filtered through uh, the city engineering department. Um, and then we review uh, any uh, requests or, you know, if we were looking at making a change, we would review that with the school site council and, and the school district um, before we made any change. So we have a, as, as part of the Safe Routes to School plan, we have a Safe Routes to School working group that includes um, city staff, planning staff, uh, the, the health department, um, and the school, school district to uh, uh, review requests uh, that we get for school area traffic control. Any questions on, on that? Okay. Um, so pedestrian and bicycle projects, that's something that we talk a lot about uh, with this board. So uh, really try to focus on getting a lot of the uh, requests and feedback um, through our, the planning processes that we do. So there I mentioned the Lawrence Bikeways plan, the Lawrence Pedestrian plan that is um, in the process of getting finalized and uh, the Safe Rest of School plan. So those plans we look at um, every five years and update those plans. Um, and the um, those plans really steer us on, on prioritizing um, projects and, and implementation of those projects. And um, that's, you know, kind of what we've used to prioritize our non-motorized uh, projects. So that's later on the agenda for the next five years, but we, um, you know, get use the feedback through those planning processes to help uh, start to prioritize uh, the many uh, bicycle and pedestrian improvements that the community wants to see. So the list is very long and uh, we're continuing to try to make progress in that area, but you know, as if we were doing uh, a standalone re street reconstruction project, we would still point to those plans and and look to make you know to incorporate those improvements into you know a street reconstruction project. So, and then the last um, uh, grouping that I have is um, so traffic enforcement and traffic calming. So that is. Um, something we, we received the most uh, requests for in the community, um, mainly speeding is the, is the frequent contributor. So um, we have uh, set up the traffic safety concern webpage um, that's linked there in the memo that was created uh, with the neighborhood traffic management program. And so um, the goal behind that was to start to uh, have a record of requests, the location, the type of request. And um, and we're gonna be talking about the program later tonight, but I really wanted to uh, start, you know, uh, looking at a different hotspot, hotspot areas where we could do some targeted enforcement or targeted evaluation uh, prior to just 
going out and putting in traffic calming or speed humps. So before we had the neighborhood traffic management program, we had a traffic uh, traffic calming uh, program that uh, we just looked at everything in isolation. And so we're trying to be a little more uh, thoughtful and um, on on how we spend our funds and try to target uh, some of the enforcement to where we get the most uh, frequent requests. So those requests are tracked on that web page. Um, I I think on that uh, final link there to the regular agenda item that Dustin has later, um, there's a map of all the locations. Um, it's on page four. And I let me see if I can share my screen. It might be easier. All right, so this is um, this is the what we see on on our end uh, of the requests we get. So as you can see, there's um, a lot uh, spread throughout the community. Um, this, these are uh, split into the different type of concerns. You got speeding, failure to yield, reckless driving, illegal turning, red light, stop sign running, failure to yield, uh, speeding in a school zone, or other. And other can mean a lot of things for a lot of reasons. Um, but uh, as you can see, it's really, you know, looking at the map here at the distribution, it's uh, really across the community. But um, we have, uh, through that neighborhood traffic management program, kind of used this in some areas to do uh, some enforcement. And um, I would also say here on the next table, Dustin had included the total number. So in the last two years, about 600. Uh, different requests we get uh, received through that uh, through that web web link, um, and those uh, we do not respond to every one of those. Um, there's a note on that on that web page that we that we don't. We just uh, we can't. But there there are some that we do. Um, we get follow up emails and we respond. You know, if we were to go out and put in. Um, uh, one of the speed feedback trailers, you know, there's some of these that have generated enough uh, uh, concern where we've gone out and gotten data or put up speed feedback trailers. So we sometimes follow up on, on some of these, but, uh, but, but not all, but this is kind of, you know, just to start recording all of the requests that we get. Um, and uh, so there's a lot there, but um, that's, that's the other major bucket of different type of uh, requests that we get. So I know we've had some, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some discussion about, you know, is there something else that we're missing that we, you know, want to have uh, get feedback from the community on on neighborhood projects or or any other sorts of projects. So we're just wanted to give everyone kind of an overview of the way uh, we handle these different type of requests and uh, get your feedback and the other feedback from the community on the way we address these and ways that we can get better. So that is all that I have.
So I realized I probably could have opened this better with kind of bringing up a history of how we got to this study session and why we're talking about it at all, um, especially for the new folks. But I think it'd be good for everybody and for myself to make sure I understand how, how we're here, right? So kind of two, two events um, kind of led to this. So the first one was back in, I want to say 2019. Um, MSO and MMTC received a letter from the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association with a laundry list of traffic concerns that they had and potential small projects that they had. And there wasn't really wasn't a way to kind of handle it. It's like, all right, those seem like valid concerns. We didn't really know what to do about it. So unfortunately, we, uh, we let it slide. And it was only recently that we kind of remembered that this letter existed in the first place. So I thought, well, that might be a shortcoming somewhere in our system. I don't know how or where. The second item that transpired was that, um, let's see if I can remember where we got here. So when we went over the non-motorized projects prioritization plan, NMPPP, there was um, the revision from the previous version to this version, um, among other changes, was that there had previously been a citizen call for projects, much like there is with the city's own capital improvement uh, plan, to which NMPPP rolls up into. But there, there had previously been this kind of separated call for projects. And what ended up happening is that the vast majority of projects that were submitted were either already on the list they were significantly lower in the prioritization based on the index that we've kind of come up with over the years, or they didn't fit into any bucket at all. They were just too unusual or, you know, for example, adding a street sweeper to the city's fleet to better maintain bike lanes so it's safer for cyclists. That does fall under pedestrian and bike planning, but not the way we set up our program, right? So th there was the sort of other competing concern for how do we deal with these oddball projects and requests that come up that are probably valid, but we don't know how to process them. When we just discussed the upcoming changes to NMPPP last month, there was um, there's a couple of ideas that we tossed around, and we're going to talk about this more later during a main agenda item. But um, I had sort of brought up a frustration, I think, that there's no convenient way for people to come and kind of bear their concerns like there used to be with the Traffic Safety Commission. And Dave had suggested, well, there is this neighborhood traffic management plan that already takes care of traffic concerns on more of a system scale. Um, it, it could be a fit. It's funded. Um, and it's sort of at the scale that we're looking at. So I thought, yeah, that's, I think it's time to discuss this and figure out how can we take what sort of worked in the past and what we're currently doing and make a better process for citizens to engage with us, which is part of Lawrence's strategic plan overall. That being said, um, I guess now that we've had a chance to review all the various requests that could come in, I'm kind of, um, my impression is that a lot of these are sort of automated already. That if there's a request that comes in, it either gets covered under the manual of uniform traffic control devices, under the thresholds that we already have for the no parking requests, the school area traffic control policy, signal coordination request, that's kind of its own thing, but still. Um, and then there's the pedestrian and bicycle improvements, which are kind of odd. So that's, I think, where there were some hangups on the revisions to the NMPPP. Is that, well, now this avenue is closed, right? Um, so for projects that are greater than 100,000 upfront, then that actually can fit in perfectly fine to the city's own capital improvement plan. But for anything under that, um, kind of small cap projects, as you could call them, that was previously what people would bring to us for the non-motorized program. And now there's not really a place for that anymore. Um, but like I said, it makes sense because a lot of them were either uh, redundant or kind of irrelevant as staff had spent a lot of time trying to figure out. So I guess what, what I'm trying to figure out is how can we capture these and how can we not take up tons of staff time in reviewing every single thing that comes in? Anyway, that's where we're at. Um, 
obviously didn't plan out that statement very well. So if anybody has any thoughts on um, or questions on how we got to this point, we can discuss that, but I think. I guess here's the main question just to kind of spur discussion here. Do we think that there is enough opportunity for citizens to raise concerns about traffic in their own neighborhood? I have a question. I think I heard that things that are submitted to the traffic safety concerns webpage are not, there's not a response to each of those. Um, do you have any sense of what percentage receives zero response? Like, is it half the time? Over over ninety percent of the traffic of the on the traffic concerns website. Yeah. Okay. And those I, I failed to mention that, but those go to police and to engineering. So both um, both get those because you know if it's speeding on a street, it's sometimes they'll call engineering and then we email. Back, you know, before we had that, we'd get a call or an email, then we forward it to police if it's, you know, more of an enforcement uh, issue. But this, um, you know, the websites to help us document and track and find the hotspots, as I mentioned. But um, <clears throat> on there, there's a note that we that we do not respond to each one individually. That seems concerning. I mean, if this was set up to provide a way for the community to respond to their concerns and it's not being essentially listened to, then I would wonder why we even have it. Um, unless it's <clears throat> part of some research project that'll be reviewed later, but it just seems like it's not in a practical um, place. So it feels like the community isn't able to use it to get any staff response. So then they're going to either feel like no one's hearing them or they're going to find another way to reach out. So it does seem like we need to do something differently than that. So is the, is the, I guess, lack of response due to just lack of staff bandwidth essentially that there's just far too many requests for staff to go through. Yeah, there, yeah. I mean, you said there's 600 over two years, mm -hmm. um, so it would take a lot of staff time to follow up. And generally, you know, it's more than one follow up. It's, you know, obviously we understand there's concern, and we're empathetic to that concern. But there's only so much we can do. Only so many resources that we have, particularly for on on these speeding requests and. Um, you know, PD does have, does do enforcement when they can with staff resources that they have. And it, and through our neighborhood traffic management program last year, we had set aside um, um, some money for targeted enforcement where we paid uh, oh, the police some overtime to work extra hours to hit some of these areas that were we uh, received, you know, where we, where we felt that we, we had the most need for it. So um, there's a lot and there's probably, there are ones that we get uh, calls on as well that are not on 
on the reporting tool, but we try to point everyone to it so that we have, uh, you know, we've documented the, documented the concern. So in that process, I mean, you say you don't respond, but is there is there some way that that's analyzed in terms of identifying hotspots? And, you know, so if you have 10 requests come in for kind of the general area, is 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 it analyzed in that way or and used to, you know, to target action or is it is it just it's coming in and it's not it's not being uh, processed in any in any way? Yeah, well, it's it's um, staff meets engineering and police department occasionally to review those. Okay. Um, and so that's the way we uh, worked under the program last year with a targeted enforcement and uh, an evaluation. So there there are some that we've uh, responded to. We've had a, a few concerns about speeding and, and speed. So we've went out and put it in speed feedback trailers and gotten some data. Um, so some of those we've we've uh, we've responded to, but um, that's that's the way that that's the way that we've been operating under it the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that map corresponds to the request, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So would it be possible? I mean, I'm just spitballing here. Like, obviously, staff is strapped for time, but we also want citizens to make sure we're heard. So we're kind of at an impasse. Like, how do we make this work? Um, would there be a way to graphically show that to people who are making a request and say, navigate to the intersection that you are, and then it'll show things that might already be there. And they can maybe click through some icons and say, oh, stop sign. Well, somebody's already asked that. I'll just check my name down for that one. So instead of having 600 individual IDs, you instead have maybe 100 that some have hundreds of votes and some might have one, just you know, some oddball who's like, well, it's a weird stop sign. But then maybe there's a truly problematic stop sign. And then you can maybe better make a heat map. Um, I don't know if that allows for that kind of functionality or if that's okay to put in the public realm, but I wonder if that could help automate it, at least reduce the number of responses that are individually new. Well, the interactive map, I don't, I don't know if we would be able to publish that. Scott, uh, we ask for um, information, name and phone number um, from people. Um, but um, that just be scrubbed from the publicly visible data and just be metadata for the city alone. It's possible. I mean, for example, in like the Douglas County property search, there's like the regular one that the public can see. And then there's the fancy Mm -hmm. one that realtors can see that has a whole bunch of extra information. Is there a way we can just have like two levels of access? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe we can have a, I mean, if, if this seems like, I mean, I don't know if I'm way out of left field here, but if this seems like an idea, should we maybe have a discussion with Micah at some point and see if he has any ideas for how we can kind of graphically make this easier? Is that a guy we go to? Yeah, yeah, okay. I could in our GIS department. I have a couple ideas that I think are maybe just more about increasing everyone's awareness. Um, if you figure it's 600 over two years, that's about 25 a month. Could that just become part of a standing part of our agenda to provide us kind of a monthly accounting of these submissions? That would be one way to just make it more visible to us. And then another level of visibility would be to provide the report um, to neighborhood uh, contacts by neighborhood so at least the neighborhood would 
have awareness that people in that area are reporting these issues. And for those neighborhoods that are organized, that might give them a little more, um, you know, data to make their case if it's for the neighborhood traffic management program or, um, or if they, you know, have been hearing stuff, but see that it's not being reported, they could direct people to go ahead and report it, but it feels like there's at least a loop being closed. It doesn't get to, you know, something being done to resolve it, but at least it's, it's ensuring that people are able to review what's been submitted. And that feels like at least a step in the right direction. You know, it's not just going into a black hole. Um, so those would be my two thoughts. Just make it a little more visible to us. And then if it's under the auspices of a neighborhood traffic management program, somehow make the data more available to the neighborhoods. So are you thinking in terms of presenting it to MMTC that the swimming staff would kind of run through beforehand and present us with a conclusion, or we just go through it in real time, just kind of go down the list of an average of I think it would just be a summary provided to us each time. Maybe it's the actual written statements. Uh, I'm looking at the form and it's got some, you know, high level, just basically you have to categorize your concern. It's either reckless driving, uh, failure to yield, speeding, running stop signs. I mean, those would be just these categories. You could just mark them off. How many of these do we get? Or maybe you give the map. I don't know. I mean, to me, the map, gets, it's a little too high of, uh, like, it doesn't mean a lot at the level that it's at the whole city. For the neighborhood, it might be more useful. But to just kind of give us a more frequent accounting of this would at least give us a little more accountability to do something. So and if there's any way that it, that could just be an automated printout from this, or um, then I'm hoping it would be too much of an additional burden on staff to just, there's average of 25 sheets and it's an agenda item. There you go. Or just even like a staff item report. Mm. I don't know. I mean, that, that seems like, I mean, I kind of want to know what neighborhood it is as well, but, but so you could kind of link those two ideas together. You know, if I knew that this was happening in a neighborhood that I'm familiar with, then I might want to reach out to that neighborhood and find out if it's a, how big of a concern it is, if it's being discussed, you know, especially the neighborhoods that are organized. So it feels like we had to just do something, something more than we're doing. And I don't, I'm also hearing there's not a lot of staff resource to, to address everything, but if it's just providing the information to us, that might not be a lot of staff time to do that. It seems to me that we could even do this on a less frequent basis too, and check out this map and see if we can see any, you know, data trends that wouldn't be obvious if you were looking at a list. So for example, Old West Lawrence is clearly a hotspot, right? So it would be interesting to kind of zoom in on that and see like, all right, what's going on? Are we seeing any trends here? Um, or maybe like a single street is particularly bad. Like, is that cross gate over there? 
it's like a couple of reds in a row. So I don't know. It seems like if we were to have this available and say maybe once a year have an agenda item, like, you know, here's your semi-annual review of traffic requests. And we know we can't go through each and every one of them, but if we can get a general sense of what they might look like, that could help inform something like the next NTMP pilot because not all neighborhoods are organized, right? But if it turns out they're, say, 27th and Iowa, mm-hmm. seeing a lot of issues, but they don't really have a functioning neighborhood association, we could say, well, maybe it, you know, soliciting a pilot isn't the best way to do it from an equity standpoint. And we can just go directly to the spots who seem to be having the most trouble. Um, That's a good point. And then that would be a less frequent way of bringing this up, I guess, and kind of zooming out and focusing on a macro scale instead of each individual uh, request. But just one idea. Is this data in our MMTC online map? No. Okay. Maybe another way to look at it would be just add in a slicer so that we can look at it by time range so we could set dates to filter it. I don't know. This is where maybe talking to Micah, he'd have a good solution. But it does feel like one step would be to make it more publicly visible. And having a study session helps there helps with that, but it doesn't make it more routine. So that's where I'm thinking, just like you have a staff agenda item, maybe this one is put there just as a quick report out. You wouldn't even have to talk about it, really. You could just say, see your attached summary of last month's reports or, you know, concerns that were reported. Yeah, I, um, I have to think about that a little. I think it's, I mean, th- we we started this to kind of to roll into the neighborhood traffic management program. So I think there's, a, we could start to maybe filter this and look at, you know, if we want to spend more money on enforcement or or whatever, and as, as that program evolves going forward. Um, I guess my only, my concern about the monthly reports was, would be just not sending a message that we're going to discuss them at every meeting because I don't think we want to do that. Just spend your staff items. I don't know. Do we usually discuss so if, there, if there's a way that we can export that uh, and that you feel that it's usable for the board, uh, look into that a little more. Yeah, maybe we could do a trial period of a month and see if we can even make any sense out of it and maybe check in during a staff item and say, all right, this was useful or now we don't really care. Um, it seems similar to what you do in city commission where there's a whole bunch of items that I assume nobody really reads. Like here's who got, you know, certified here's building permits. Like, great. It's nice to have them, but you know, it's more for just a reference for later when we have time to go over them on our own time. Um, okay. Oh, Dave, I did have a more, I guess, technical question here about the blue stuff. So other accounts for 41%. How other is it? Is it just kind of a mischaracterization of something that is otherwise a very normal traffic concern? Or is it some really wild stuff? It's it's something that doesn't meet any any of the other categories. Are there any that are common enough that we need a new category? Um, or are they really just all over the place? I'd be very curious to see what an example of this is, as long as we don't compromise the, you know, the identifying information of whoever submitted it. But uh, that's not possible with what we have now, but it's okay. It, it is not. This is just a PDF map. Um, and so would, if I were to pull it up and click on it, it would have uh, information, names and dates and phone uh, na- names and addresses and phone numbers. So I 
can't do that in the meeting tonight, but um, it looks like when you select other, there's a another field that opens up for someone just to type something. Mm. Maybe if that's put in a report that can be shared, then it would just, you know, just give us what they say. And we could determine if we start to see a pattern and um, maybe there's a need to change the form. This was created, you said, a couple years ago. So back then, and no one really knew what other might be. It was a nice way to at least start giving people an option to write in whatever they wanted. So personally, I'd like to come away with this with some kind of path forward. And that may happen during the NTMP discussion that we have later on, because I'm thinking that some of these projects that aren't so easy to administratively evaluate could end up on some kind of extra list almost that could be kind of merged in with the rest of the capital improvements that are covered under NTMP. Um, I think in the meantime, though, um, Charlie, the point you bring up of, you know, this isn't very publicly available, it's kind of a black hole. I think it merits further discussion. This sounds like a committee to me. It sounds like the kind of thing where a few people who are interested would dig in deeper and try to come up with some interesting solution of how to do it. Like talk to Micah, have some technical discussions off, you know, I guess off of the main stage. I feel like we're all, well, there's enough new people who might be interested. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I think our committees, I'm sorry, but our, I mean, we're already struggling to have people on committees. So I'm, I think it's because we have multiple kind of skeptical large things going on, right? Like T2050 is happening. Uh, land use update code is happening. Land use code update is happening. That's already two big ones. And then there's the metrics one. So, hmm. I, I think it'd be good to have some discussion about our committees more broadly, mm -hmm. but keeping this in mind, like maybe there's a need to have a committee around the neighborhood traffic management program and continuing to support its, you know, iterations as we continue to, you know, invest in that program. Okay. Um, I'm thinking as a short-term action item, if it would be possible maybe to set up a meeting with Dave, you and me and Micah and just kind of, kind of hash out what is possible based on the technology that we have. Because it's going to be hard to make a recommendation if we don't really know what our limitations are. So um, if you think that that would be a reasonable first step, I'd like to arrange that meeting. That's all right. Sure. Okay. Um, we're coming up on the end of our study session. Does anybody have any other comments towards this kind of admittedly broad topic? I just have a question to staff about one of the, I think it's one of the citywide or city commitments is about community engagement. And is there a way that you would see kind of the work that we're involved in impacting one of those measures or like how, how do we know we're on track with the vision the city has for engaging the public? Yeah, I think it's, it's a tough question. It depends on what we're talking about. We, we use different forms of engagement for different sorts of projects and different levels of engagement for different sorts of programs and projects. So whether it's a, you know, road reconstruction project, the way we do engagement for that or uh, prioritization of the neighborhood traffic management program or, um, or, or the non-motorized project list. Um, Good question. Um, so that's something we're, you know, open open to looking at. You know, if there's other ways to do 
engagement, but there's no one size fits all plan for each each thing. But um, that's we're tasked with, uh, you know, through the strategic plan uh, as community engagement, you, you know, kind of helping drive uh, our priorities and our projects. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, it kind of depends a little. I don't have this all memorized yet, but I think there was an indicator related to the number percentage of something that have an engagement plan or that are uh, you might know it more than I do. I'm just there, curious, like, do we even think about our action items in our agenda? Like, what percent have some relationship to a engagement? Um, I forgot what it is. Percent of city projects that follow the community engagement plan, CW-3. I don't know how many of those are ones that we touch, but that would be interesting to know. What are the projects? How are those projects defined? This one is still in development, I guess. <clears throat> but you know, to help us maybe keep in mind that this is a big commitment the city's made to do community engagement, and we're we're probably part of that. I, I would add for us, for us, the CIP projects and the uh, the review of the prioritization, the scoring of the CIP projects, community engagement is one of the. Um, scoring criteria and if it's been through a plan or or and also listening what the in, what the uh recommended level of engagement is with the project so we're trying to identify that at the same time as we're reviewing projects to include in the cip um may not it doesn't directly relate to this board uh for some of those projects but um yeah, I think through that, yeah. I mean, it kind of does when we're, when we're talking about something that is in the CIP. It is when we're, when we're yeah. reviewing reconstruction projects that are in the CIP. Yeah. It, it does, yeah. And so we've, you know, I'm just thinking of the last one, we had Walker Russo reconstruction. We kind of had the scope, brought the scope of community engagement uh, to the board and reviewed that before we started the process and then try to follow through on that, so um trying to trying to do trying to do a little better job up front of of doing that on those projects and i think well i think the other thing is you know the definition of community engagement because you know we're talking about these this input from the community that's coming in through the uh, reporting form and you know is it enough to receive those comments or does community community engagements mean another step beyond just receiving that and if there's a way to uh, because some of you know some of those uh, concerns i expect could be related to existing uh in tv projects or cip projects that are you know coming in in those particular areas um, and somehow integrating that a little bit more to to make sure that we're you know, taking those those kinds of things into into consideration with the with that process, because there will be other you know public meetings and surveys and those kinds of things. But uh, you know, if if those concerns are going to be submitted, then um, I think you know our conversation tonight has been 
you know, what can we do at least incrementally? Because if you would look at these different categories on this list that we've looked at all, but the first two, well, and they may have some too, but all of them have budget implications. So, you know, they're requesting traffic calming or um, bike pad improvements or those kinds of things. They also have budget implications. So not only is it an issue with, you know, staff time to process them, but going the next step, if we're going to respond to them, that also requires budget. And, um, but at least, you know, being able to demonstrate that we're looking at that and taking some of that into consideration as much as possible um, seems like a good outcome. I like the idea of the, you know, the staff report. And if it's not monthly, then quarterly. And I also like the idea of it being divided up by neighborhoods because I think the neighborhood associations um, could make use of that in some some instances. How many each month? 25. 25. 25. That's just taking 600 divided by 24 months. You get 25. 25 doesn't seem like that much. I mean, that many requests or complaints or suggestions. I don't see why we can't just say them out loud so people know that they're being heard. Doesn't we don't have to discuss it. We don't have to say what are we going to do to solve this. We have to acknowledge that that they that they've been heard. Yeah, that's kind of where I was starting. Yeah, so right now no one... isn't that much. I mean, it's not a it's not a huge number, and obviously staff. That's more work for staff. But maybe maybe we can direct some of it to us. We're not we're not paid as far as I know. And um, <laughs> you don't get the memo? Perhaps. Only if you chair. Well, it's You're also correct. a lot of neighborhoods would probably welcome knowing that their neighbors have reported these things. Right. They'll do some of that work. Yeah, to, to do some of the analysis, I think. To get it in a more organized, especially if you're seeing a bunch of reports on the same street. I mean, this is over two years, but I've looked at some of these like dot, 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 dot. Looks like there's some problems there. And there are problem intersections that that practically force one to break the law. And people, I hate breaking the law when I'm being forced to do it. <laughs> I want it to be my choice. Well, we're at our end of time, unfortunately, but I feel like we've got a pretty good discussion going on. And we'll probably pick this up again in some form on agenda item too. Um, Pat, you kind of were about to segue in that direction in that it's not enough to just hear it. It's like, all right, well, now what do we do with it? Is there funding? Right. And I feel like for things that are below that $100,000 CIP threshold, <laughs> it's probably NTMP. So um, we'll discuss that more once we get to the revisions and agenda item two. But I think for now, the immediate action item is to try to get a meeting set up with myself and Dave and Micah to see just what's possible. And then probably try to get a printout report of the month's most recent uh, requests for the July meeting. So, all good, Dave? Great. Yep. Cool. Um, do we take a five, 10 minute break before our main scheduled meeting? Yep. We'll start the main meeting at 6 15. That's all right. Sounds good. You can fill my water anyway. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, uh, resuming of the June MMTC meeting. We're now at our regular agenda. So um, just to get started off, we're going to do a 
roll call first or house rules have already been said, right? So we're just going to go into roll call then. So Christina, when you have a chance. Sure. Damon Baltuska. Here. Laura Bennett. Here. Will Sharp. Here. Aaron Payton. Here. Pat Collette. Here. Charlie Bryan. Here. Nick Kuzmiak. Here. Douglas Redding. Here. Althea Schnacki. All right. Well, in that case, um, since we've already done our study session at five, we're going to move into agenda item B, which is approve the minutes of the May meeting. So before we have motion, does anybody have any questions or comments or amendments they'd like to add here? If not, I'd entertain a motion. I move to approve the May 2, 2022 meeting minutes. I second. All right. Christina, can you please call roll on that? Or voting. Actually, sorry, right before we do that, I just want to note that it requires a password and a username to get to the minutes, which is not something I have. Um, I don't know if that's a common occurrence, but I would just note to staff that it's usually available. So, did you download the file? Oh, it's on the whole file? Mm -hmm. Well, Because it's jumping to a section in the file. I feel like the link should still probably work, but... If you're on the website, it doesn't work. No. Anyway. Got the secret. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt things. Let's go back to the roll. Sorry. Damon Baltesca? Yes. Laura Bennett? Yes. Will Sharp? Yes. Aaron Payton? Yes. Pat Collette? Yes. Charlie Bryan? Yes. Nick Kuzmiak? Yes. Douglas Reddy? Yes. Althea Schnacki is absent. Motion carries eight to zero. Okay, thank you. We're now moving on to agenda item C, which is public comment. Um, I'll just, just read it out. The public is allowed to speak to any items or issues that are not scheduled on the regular agenda. Public comment will not be received for staff items, commission items, or calendar items. Each person or organization will be limited to three minutes. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented at this time. Individuals are asked to come to the microphone, sign in, and state their name and address. Speakers should address all comments to the commission. Is there anybody in the room who has any general public comments? Hey. Yeah, so if you're here for agenda items one, two, three, four, that will come. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Good evening, Mr. Chair, members of the commission. My name is Adam Davis, and I manage government affairs for Bird, which is a micromobility company aka e-scooters. As you may remember, uh, for those that have served on this committee for a while or those that are new, uh, this body went through a decision to push to the council that they pilot an e-scooter program. Unfortunately, it fell during the midst of COVID and the RFQ process ultimately selected Bird to be the operator. In conversations with city staff, we decided to go ahead and put things on pause just to get through the uncertainty of COVID. But now that things are starting to lighten up, we've started re-engaging conversations and with city staff. And thanks to Dave for recommending to come back to this committee and just see what the, the thoughts were from this body, see if we could get it moving again. I know the SGA at KU is very eager to have 
have micromobility here. Uh, it's definitely something we partner with the city at the dashboard you saw earlier on other things. We provide that a real-time dashboard to the city to see where people are riding, where they're starting, where they're ending, and it helps with public infrastructure uh, decisions to actually see where people are riding. And then we also invest back into the, the city through a revenue share on our ridership. And so I just wanted to bring the conversation back up and let this body know and see uh, if we could maybe get on the agenda for next month and continue the, the convo. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other public comment for people who are in the room? Um, okay. And if not, is there anybody on the phone who wishes to make a general public comment? No hands were raised at this time. Okay. Sounds good. Right. With that, public comment is closed. Um, and just to close that, I, um, we will try to get this on an agenda item soon. Um, e mobility, e <coughs> micro mobility, e scooters. Okay. Uh, that brings us to D, agenda, agenda items. So and start with number one, consider approving the recommended permanent traffic calming installations in the Old West Lawrence neighborhood. Um, so Dustin, welcome. Thank you, I'm Dustin Smith, Senior Project Engineer with Municipal Services and Operations. And uh, he said, we are uh, uh, recommending a permanent installation of the traffic calming, the project that we've been working on with the Old West Lawrence neighborhood. Um, I'll give you a, a quick recap of, of how we got where we are. Um, uh, last year, we had an open application process for neighborhoods to be a part of the, the program. and. Uh, uh, our first year, we wanted to do a neighborhood-wide study of uh, traffic concerns and then uh, implement traffic uh, calming strategies to address those concerns. Uh, Old West Lawrence was selected to be the first neighborhood through the application process. And uh, uh, after that selection was made, we, we started off a round of um, uh, meetings with representatives from the neighborhood. Um, with city staff and our uh, consulting team with uh, JEO as our, our traffic engineering consultants. Um, uh, while we were having those meetings, we also collected a round of uh, before baseline data throughout the neighborhood, uh, traffic volumes and speeds, and then uh, used the data and the uh, conversations with the neighborhoods to identify the concerns and, and develop strategies to address those concerns. So uh, that uh, led to the development of our initial traffic calming plan for the neighborhood. And we implemented that in November, 2021, and then started our round of uh, after data collection after we uh, had installed several traffic calming devices in the neighborhood. Um, and then kind of over the winter, after we had the, uh, the after data collected, uh, we, we were um, evaluating that data, uh, seeing what impacts we had with our, our traffic calming installation. And then also uh, in January, we had uh, some public engagement to uh, get some feedback from the broader public. So that included a, a public meeting 
where we had uh, I believe almost 200 uh, attendees at the meeting. And then uh, we also did a Lawrence Listen survey with uh, I, I think almost 500 uh, responses to the survey. And so we uh, again used the, uh, the before and after data analysis and then all the feedback that we heard to develop some revisions to the traffic calming plan, uh, address some concerns that we heard and, and also the conclusions from the data, uh, implemented the revised traffic calming plan in March, and then began our, our second round of after data collection on the, on the revised installation. And so based again on uh, uh, all the, the after or the, I guess the before and after data of the revised configuration and additional conversations with the neighborhood, we are uh, making a recommendation to install permanently the configuration that is in place now, which was again, our, our second iteration. And so I, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Stephen Buckley with JEO, our, again, our traffic engineering consultant, and he has a presentation with a, a lot more detail of kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the data and the and the conclusions we reached from it. Well, thank you. I'm, again, I'm Stephen Buckley with JEO Consulting Group. Um, I've heard about this commission for a long, long time. It's good to finally be here in person and see you guys in action. A um, little bit about me. I went to KU, graduated in 89. I was with KDOT for 31 years. Half of that as a traffic engineer and half of that in safety engineering. So a uh, good long career with KDOT. Retired last June, been with JEO for about a year. So it's been a good transition and and really enjoyed working on this project. Great group of folks behind me, definitely. Um, now, if I can only uh, learn how to, there we go. Oh, oh is it a right-handed mouse? <laughs> I'm all messed up. I think I, I think I lost it. Okay, there we go. All right, great. Well, uh, Dustin did a great job kind of summarizing the, um, the purpose of the project. Uh, just, just briefly, as far as the, you know, the pilot overview, what, you know, what the city is looking to do here, of course, take it one neighborhood at a time. Uh, we're focused on reducing speeding, reducing cut through traffic, and of course, with that, protecting vulnerable road users, pedestrians, bikes, et cetera. Um, as, far, as far as this pilot, um, you know, we, we considered enforcement, uh, education, infrastructure. Uh, we really wanted to emphasize broad community support uh, with this project, and I and, and I think that um, I, I think we did a, did a pretty good job with that. Uh, as far as getting the, the neighborhood engaged, and of course, evaluations is is part of the program. This, I mean, these these devices were they were an experiment, and so evaluation is is very much a part of the program, which is why what was put in uh, is considered temporary. You know, as far as the Old West Lawrence, their application, Dustin referenced that. Um, they took a survey of the neighborhood and found that safety is the number one concern of the Old West Lawrence residents. And their goal was to eliminate cut through traffic from six to ninth and to reduce speeds. These resident suggestions, they, they did a really good job with their application. And this, these, are, these are kind of the ones that, that jumped out to us as far as the different ideas that came in from resident surveys as part of their application, you know, including what we call um, horizontal deflection, the curb bump outs, the traffic circles, uh, speed bumps or humps and cushions. Uh, more law enforcement was one of the recommendations. 
changing streets to one way was a recommendation, you know, focused on safe crossing on 6th Street, improved sight lines. I know that I know that that that's a concern, especially at some of the alleys and then uh, even blocking off some of the neighborhood streets. So those were all some of the ideas that came in uh, from the residents of Old West Lawrence. You're probably all familiar with our functional classification system. Um, all public roads across the state, across the country are functionally classified. Now, of course, most of the roads in Old West Lawrence are considered local roads. And they're just that, they're local roads. They're intended to be you know, a destination to and from. In fact, the FHWA, Federal Highway Administration, uh, defines a local road as it's really not to carry any through traffic. Now that's in an ideal world, there's always gonna be you know, some through traffic on a local road, but ideally a local road is, is a destination. Uh, to and from. Then your collectors, such as Maine and Tennessee, that those roads are intended to collect traffic from the local roads and then deliver that traffic to the arterials like six and nine. That's that's the whole purpose of functional classification system, why, why streets are all classified that way. And I'm sure city policy has really driven along uh, that classification system. And again, it goes all the way from a local road like our old West Lawrence neighborhood, all the way to freeways and interstates like I-70. Of course, the challenge with Old West Lawrence, and, and I, I'm sure you're all familiar with this, is, is it's, you know, it, it's a grid neighborhood. Um, and because of its location, it's really inviting to be to serve as, as for cut through, uh, cut through traffic. Uh, as, you know, as far as north-south arterial, the closest one to the west is, you know, Iowa over a mile away. Uh, of course, you have downtown immediately to the east. You have two arterials, a sixth and ninth. And then, of course, you have this thing called KU just south of this neighborhood. Uh, and it's just, it's just so that this neighborhood is like a magnet for cut through traffic. And I think that that's that's one of the things that this neighborhood has been dealing with for, for a long, long time. And we're trying to address with this project. So briefly, I just want to briefly touch on the first configuration, because uh, obviously we're not we're not going back to that. Um, but, you know, we we met we being myself in the city, we, we met with uh, the traffic management team of Old West Lawrence uh, last September. And we talked about all the different all the different traffic control um, or traffic calming devices that were out there, uh, you know, and um, including what we call horizontal deflection, like the curb bulb outs or the or the or the traffic circles. A vertical deflection like the humps and the cushions and then even and then the diverters which is which is what we ended up going with uh, the emphasis was really on reducing cut through traffic in the neighborhood that's what we really focused on in fact the first two concepts that we talked about went so far as to limit access to the neighborhood the very first concept we talked about uh, was to actually close uh, some of the streets at six and ninth um, that was too far. And so we, we took a step back and said, okay, how about we just like do uh, an egress only uh, from some of these from these local roads on the 6th and 9th. We, there were concerns about parking. There was concerns about, you know, how people would turn around if they got stuck because, um, you know, there's not cul-de-sacs at the end there. They would be functioning as cul-de-sacs without cul-de-sacs. So we decided to move uh, the traffic calming to uh, 7th and 8th. And of course, that was the first iteration. Um, uh, this is the, the median barrier that we installed at multiple locations. Uh, this detail here is from the Delaware Department of Transportation. It came from the FHWA's Traffic Calming Primer, which is an online resource, which is a great resource for all things traffic calming. 
And then this is the um, the diverter, the diagonal diverter, which we had two of these on Mississippi. We were really excited about this in the beginning because we've seen other other cities that have used these, and they really turn these into gardens. In fact, I I found a picture of one where they even had a, a library box in the in that island there. So, um, but yeah, you know, as it turns out, uh, that that did not work like we hoped. Um, of course, this was the original layout. Um, and I, I, I want to get I want to get my, my language down right. Um, so when we talk about data now, we're, we're going to be talking about before data, and that's the data we took before anything was changed. Uh, the between data, uh, that's the data we took. Uh, really, that would be the data that would be of the first configuration, and then the after data is the data based on the configuration that's out there today. Um, if you saw the open house, if you were involved in the open house last January, you've seen these these next few slides. You can kind of see what the um, what the numbers look like. You'll recall that I'm, I said at the open house, I'm, I'm disappointed in these numbers. And um, and so we, we knew we wanted to try something different. Um, and we'll we'll get back to those here in a second. Um, at the open house, I showed this this kind of this kind is a I call it a poor man's heat map. Um, as far as demonstrating where traffic increased, where traffic went down. The purple is where traffic uh, decreased substantially. The red is where it increased substantially. And then the rest are in between. Um, this was also a heat map as far as um, this kind of a visual as, as far as where heavy, where traffic is heavier in the neighborhood. Uh, that, that slide takes some time to absorb though. If you, um, so as far as local roads impact, um, we saw again. Talk, speaking of local roads, so this this uh, this does not include um, like Maine, for example, because Maine is classified as a collector. But of the local roads, and this includes uh, some blocks on Seventh and Eighth, it also includes Michigan. Uh, 12, 12 streets saw a significant decrease. Five streets saw a significant increase. Uh, three were unchanged, and then Alabama, unfortunately, are counterfailed. So that's briefly what was out there the first time. So why did we make the changes we made? Um, first of all, you may recall, again, we had the, the diverters, the diagonal diverters at, on, eight, at, on Mississippi at 7th and 8th. Um, and, uh, you know, taking a step back, we realized that the one at, at 8th and Mississippi was a bad idea. And um, so we, we took that out really to allow for the full functionality of the signal at 9th Street. You have turn lanes on eastbound uh, 9th Street at Mississippi. A lot of people use that signal to access, especially the east half of Old West Lawrence. So we went ahead and uh, and took that diverter out. We also did not replace it with a barrier. And then there at 7th in Mississippi, uh, we went ahead and removed that diverter uh, and replaced it with a medium barrier. Because I, I think that a lot of the a lot of the concerns about cut through if you look, if you look at the at the before data, uh, I think a lot of the concerns were were based on Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi saw two two and a half times the traffic of most of the other local roads in the neighborhood. And I think that's largely because you have the signal at ninth, and it also you know goes all the way onto KU's campus. And so, it really, I'm sure a lot of the cut through traffic was there on Mississippi. So the thought is so open up eighth in Mississippi to again, to take advantage of the signal. And really that, that 800 block of Mississippi then almost functions as a collector. It collects traffic and distributes it into, especially the Eastern half of Old West Lawrence. But then we leave the barrier at 7th and Mississippi to prevent cut through on Mississippi. And there's no signal, of course, at 6th and Mississippi. 
We did take out the barriers uh, on Alabama, Ohio, and Louisiana. Uh, really, the the before data, uh, in hindsight, probably didn't justify uh, the installation of those. Again, it was an experiment. And um, so we, we went ahead and took those out on those three blocks. We did, of course, flip the one on Illinois, moved it from eighth, uh, no, moved it from seventh to eighth. I get that right? I think that, yeah, moved it from seventh to eighth. And then, um, really to mitigate any additional traffic that we saw on Michigan and Maine, and then that 800 block in Mississippi, we went ahead and installed uh, some additional speed humps and speed cushions. So this is what we saw out there. Of course, we had the median barrier. We've seen that before. This is what was installed for the speed hump. And this is what was installed for the speed cushions on main. Uh, the difference is between a hump and a cushion is the cushion has cuts to allow for emergency traffic, emergency vehicles. And of course, Maine is an emergency route to the hospital north of north of the, the neighborhood. And so that's what this is what's what's out there today. We have we have median barriers at um at 8th in Arkansas, 7th in Missouri, 8th in Illinois, 7th in Mississippi, and 8th in Indiana. And then we added additional uh, vertical deflection, as we call it, or speed humps on both blocks of Michigan. We added a cushion on the uh, 600 block of Maine, and then a speed hump on the 800 block in Mississippi. And that, that is what, what is out there today. As far as our data, to me, these numbers looked, looked a lot better. Um, overall, traffic was relatively flat. Uh, if you take out, so this, this is total traffic, and, and basically this would be like of the, of the 28 blocks that we counted in the neighborhood, and four of those were alleys. But of the 28 blocks that we counted in the neighborhood, the total traffic uh, before, this is uh, average daily traffic for weekdays, uh, was 21,274 after uh, we saw a slight increase of 21,347. But if you take out Tennessee, which you know, which carries the lion's share of the of the, of the traffic in the neighborhood, uh, 8,000 vehicles a day, uh, we actually saw traffic go down by 8%. Uh, if you look at only the blocks classified as local roads, we saw a drop of 22%. But that includes Michigan because Michigan is classified uh, as a local road. Um, of course, that is a street that is on the extreme west side of the neighborhood. It also has a signal at sixth, but uh, in it, 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 you know, it, it carried 2,000 vehicles a day uh, before we did this, and now it carries about 2,500 vehicles a day, or closer to 2,400. Uh, on that, on that um, south, it would be the uh, 800 block of Michigan. Um, you know, so a local road that 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 was concerning uh, to see that traffic increase. Um, Maine, we saw an increase of about 41%. Um, and that, you know, that, that wasn't a big surprise. And th those are two blocks, by the way, I should say. For Michigan, the, the, the data on Michigan is just one block, the 800 block. The data on Maine is actually two blocks totaled. And then if you look at local roads without Michigan, we actually saw traffic decreased by almost a third on those, on those local roads. If you compare... Uh, the two after periods. Um, so you can see, uh, again, between this is this is the data that we took based on the first configuration. The after is the data we took on the second on the current configuration. Um, you know, 
all the numbers really went in the right direction. Um, you know, 8% drop taking out Tennessee, 22% drop uh, compared to 14 for local roads. Michigan, the Michigan South actually uh, saw a slight decrease uh, with the current configuration. In the between period, it was a 2,494, it dropped to 2,435. Uh, in Maine, and this is not a typo, <laughs> the, the ADT on those two blocks of Maine were the, exactly the same, 4,497 during the between and 4,497 in the after. Most notably, uh, local roads dropped from 23% to, uh, to 32%. So I, I found those, I, I found that these results are much more promising um, and this, I'm sure this, this will be in your, in, in your information, but this, so what, what we're showing here again, it's a heat map. Um, just trying to illustrate the purple, the purple blocks are where, uh, traffic decreased substantially, uh, blue, it decreased somewhat, uh, green is basically unchanged, orange increased somewhat, and then red, it increased substantially. And, uh, so you, and again, this is this is compared to the before, not to the between, is compared to the before, um, the before data. And then we did the same thing with, or similar thing with, uh, with the heat map, just kind of showing where traffic is really heaviest in the neighborhood. Um, I should say that that the brown, the brown uh, legends is for the higher volume roads, and the blue is for the lower volume roads. So when you look at um, same information. Uh, this is our second local roads impact. Uh, just like the first time we saw 12 streets that saw a significant de decrease in volume, uh, we only saw two streets that saw a significant increase in volume compared to five the first time. Uh, six streets were unchanged compared to um, three before. And again, we managed to have a failed counter this time on the 700 block of Ohio. I'm not going to uh, read through this other than to point out, uh, we do have all kinds of data uh, for your reading pleasure. If you're a data geek, you can have a lot of fun with this stuff. Uh, we, we have the, the weekday ADTs. And I should say that typically um, we, would, we would go out and install the counters like on a Sunday, maybe take them off on a Friday or Saturday. We were trying to get two or three full weekdays, like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we avoided the weekends. We certainly avoided the whole, you know, national championship thing. Um, even even tried to avoid a, a detour on a uh, that was that was being that was taking place on Michigan uh, during one of our counts. So we tried our best to make sure we were counting typical weekdays, and that's what the, these are. These these are these are our weekday ADTs uh, averages. We also have the 50th percentile speed just. Uh, to let you know what that means. You, you probably know this, but just in case, the 50th percentile speed is a speed that 50% of the traffic is traveling at or below. Similar to the 85th percentile, same thing, 85% of the traffic is traveling at or below. We also have percent trucks. We can also break this data down by direction. You know, So we know of that 476 vehicles on Arkansas, we know how many are going north and how many are going south. So it's almost information overload. I, I, I did want to briefly walk through this because we, we did pick up some additional blocks um, in, in the after period. So, um, you know, for example, this looks pretty small. I apologize. Uh, so these, these, were, these were blocks that we added to the original 28. 
uh, that, that we did for the first before and after. We added the, uh, the 600 block of Ohio, uh, where we, we went from 283 in the between. And oddly enough, we took out the barrier on Ohio uh, and, and saw traffic uh, actually reduced to 224. Uh, same thing on Alabama. The, the between was 324 with the barriers. Uh, we took out the barriers and traffic reduced to 263. Um, the south block of Maine, I, I, I pointed this out earlier, uh, we did see a, see a reduction going from the between period to the after of almost 10%. And, um, and then Michigan, uh, the 700 block of Michigan, uh, the between was 2,513, the after, it went to 2639, so about a 5% increase. Uh, we also saw an increase on 7th. Uh, this is east-west, 7th between Missouri and Maine. The between was about 830, and the after was 919. We did collect a couple of control blocks. Um, these would be blocks outside of the neighborhood, but close enough, but they wouldn't have been influenced by, by this experiment. And actually, uh, so we, we, we picked up the 400 block of Maine, and, um, and then the uh, 1000 block of Alabama. In both cases, those two control blocks traffic went up. And so to me, that, that kind of that lends some credibility to our findings that traffic in the neighborhood actually, actually reduced if, the, if our control blocks uh, increased. The one alley I wanna point out um, is that we did pick up uh, a count on the east-west alley between Alabama and Illinois where we had 29 vehicles um, in the uh, between period, and then that more than doubled to 66 in the after period. I think that's probably some people trying to avoid the barrier there at, um, at 8th and in Illinois. Uh, so that, those are the, that's the additional information. Um, last bit of data I'll share with you has to do with, with our speed humps. Um, we, of course, we, we installed speed humps and cushions on four new blocks, and you can see that in all cases, uh, speeds were reduced. Um, going Maine, Mississippi, Michigan, Michigan, uh, the 50th percentile speed dropped by two, four, six, and four, and the 85th uh, dropped by four, five, seven, and five. That's that's pretty significant reduction um, in speed. So uh, those humps and cushions, as designed, uh, certainly... Um, have impacted speeds on those blocks, which is what we wanted them to do because we, we, we knew that by installing these barriers on, on um, the local roads, that that would put more pressure, especially on Maine uh, being the, the neighborhood collector. So in summary, um, like I said, the, the final, the, the, what's out there today, uh, it did reduce traffic volumes on local blocks excluding Michigan uh, by 32%. Um, that was encouraging. Uh, removal of the barriers on Alabama, Louisiana, and Ohio had really little impact, um, largely because probably because they didn't have a lot of traffic to begin with. Um, traffic on Maine increased by 41% compared to the before period in both the between and after. So there was no, there's really no change from the between to the after on Maine. But again, 41% increase compared to the before. Uh, however, the 800 block of Maine did decrease by 10%. And so that actually kind of gave us, not kind of, it did give us a uniform flow on Maine. All three blocks on Maine carry about 2,300 vehicles per day. 
uh, through the neighborhood. Uh, to put that in perspective, typically we, we treat uh, like a design hourly volume would be about 10% of ADT. So you would expect that about during the peak, peak hour on main, uh, those, you would, that means those blocks carry about 230, 230 vehicles an hour or about four vehicles a minute. Uh, just to kind of, kind of picture what we're talking about in terms of those volumes. Uh, all blocks with a, with a before ADT around 400, around 400 or more have been addressed with reduced volumes or reduced speeds. Uh, a couple of other things. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, yep. So as, as Dustin said, you know, based on our goal um, to reduce cut through, and, and unfortunately, we, we didn't have a good measure of cut through traffic. I know Dustin and the city are actually talking about, and not, not to make a, a, a plug for, the, for this vendor, but uh, they are, there's a vendor called Streetlight that they're talking about um, that uh, really would be able to provide you know, data, help us really evaluate cut through traffic in a neighborhood like this. So if this is a program that the city really looks to continue, um, you know, I, I think, I think that would be, that would be worthwhile to, uh, to really consider because that would be able to give us a picture of, of, of cut through, through the neighborhood. Um, we didn't have a good way of measuring that uh, for this study. So we, we really just, just use traffic volume kind of as a surrogate. Uh, for cut through traffic, but ultimately we saw traffic go down on the blocks. We really wanted to see traffic go down. Uh, the trap, the, the blocks that that were impacted by by the changes and saw some increase. We did reduce speeds with the uh, vertical deflection. Um, you know, some things I really want to emphasize is that I know I know a lot of the concerns right now was with the design of these things. Um, because they're out there. Of course, we, we, we didn't go in and, and modify the curb returns as part of this experiment. And some of those curbs are getting beat up. And so, you know, if, if this goes permanent, uh, it, would, it would also include uh, improvements to the, uh, to the curbs, uh, to the curb returns, to, to the corner radiuses, going to either a 15-foot or a 20-foot radius, and then potentially, if it gets into the sidewalk, uh, replacing the, the sidewalk ramps with ADA ramps and sidewalk extensions to the existing sidewalk. Um, so that that is a definite uh, if if this goes through, um, and then also the, the barriers themselves will be designed to accommodate emergency vehicles while discouraging rollover by passenger vehicles, and um, so those those are really two things that have to be considered uh, for any permanent installation. Uh, when we say when we when we say I just want to emphasize that when we say make permanent what's out there, that doesn't mean just putting up a barrier, and that's it. You know uh, that, that that includes. Um, uh, making all the necessary changes as well that would allow, especially single unit trucks to make right turns on those uh, in front of those barriers. And of course, most importantly, emergency access through the neighborhood. Um, all right, that's, um, that is this past year in a nutshell. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation. I feel like I did get more out of the presentation with you speaking through it and explaining it rather than just looking at it. So sure. So we did this. Um, so here's how we're going to kind of run things here and how we generally try to for our, our agenda items. We're first going to start with folks on the MMTC if they have any rather technical questions just for clarification to try to figure out if we fully understand what we've been presented. And once we've run through at least a couple of those to kind of make sure we have a fuller understanding, then we're going to turn it over to public 
public comment. And then once the, um, every member of the public who wishes to has made their comment, then we'll bring it back up to the commission for further discussion and questions to staff, consultants, and whoever else. So that sounds good to you. Does anybody want to open up with any technical questions that they had on the presentation? Uh, I just have a pretty simple question. Dustin, you went through, kind of mentioned the public engagement um, efforts that were made, and I didn't hear anything uh, in the second, after the second installation, what was done to share the results back with the neighborhood and collect additional feedback? Uh, we did meet with the neighborhood, the neighborhood team we've been working with the whole time to um, discuss the data and and presented this, our recommendation to them before, you know, getting to this point. Um, and uh, we weren't able to get a second Lawrence Listen survey out and closed and have all those uh, results available in time for this meeting. So uh, we decided to uh, push that and and kind of take what we hear tonight, and that may help frame that second Lawrence uh, Listen survey, which we, we still will do that second survey to collect the, the feedback from the broader uh, public on the project. Okay, so you're still planning to do a survey? Yes. Thank you. So I would like to get more clarification on selected medians. Um, if emergency vehicles can roll over them, but passenger vehicles cannot, I guess, how do you make that determination given that there's passenger vehicles that are now approaching the size of emergency vehicles? That, that, that's a good question. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, for the emergency vehicles, it, it, it comes down to wheelbase. But obviously, if, if some of these pickup trucks and, and whatnot have the same wheelbase as an emergency vehicle, you know, there, there's there's really no way of getting around that other than, you know, just it's like with any traffic control, stop signs, speed limits, you know, you put up signs, you just have to trust, you just have to trust the integrity of the driver, right? Um, you know, for example, there, there, there are signs out there now, you know, saying no trucks on Mississippi. I'm not sure anyone knows that, you know, it's like, uh, so, you know, you can, you, you, you put up traffic control to try to manage traffic. Um, and um, you know, try to make decisions how you want traffic to flow through an area, through a neighborhood, through an intersection. Um, you know, there'll be, you know, there will be regulatory signs like there are out there now, you know, no, no left turn. Um, and, uh, and if someone, it's like any traffic control, if somebody violates that, they, they can get a ticket. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's, that, that's certainly a good point. Um, and uh so it sounds like it's based on track width rather than the slope of the curve, like say on a bicycle boulevards, which I believe those are mountable curves. It sounds like these ones have have basically permeability in the medians that are tailored for large vehicles, kind of like speed humps. Is that right? It's got like speed, like the speed cushions, you know. Cushions, if, sorry. If you, uh, yeah, where we have the gaps. I mean, we mm -hmm. we put the gaps in those cushions where. You know, emergency vehicles don't need to slow down for those. Mm. The gap is wide enough to meet their wheelbase. Uh, a car, you know, most most passenger vehicles can't can't straddle that center that center cushion mm. or that center hump, and so they're going to have to slow down. And it, it'll be the same logic applied to to the uh, to the center of the barrier. Okay. 
Um, I don't know. Another question. So I really like the heat maps uh, showing the before, between, and after in terms of uh, volume. I'm assuming that the, the goals of this were not just to reduce volume, but also in a way to reduce speed. And also the nature of the traffic being, you know, cut through truck traffic is particularly bad in, you know, residential neighborhood. Do you have heat maps available for speed and traffic data? Sorry, speed and truck traffic data as well to kind of see if there's any really wild trends there? We do not. No. Okay. Uh, from your analysis of the data, could you share any kind of macro trends that you found? And it, it kind of looks like with speed, it was a success pretty much everywhere. That speed went down at least marginally on all streets, if I'm seeing it that correctly. So especially where we installed, not, I, I, I forgot to mention, in the, bef the before the between, um, we, did, we didn't see a big change in speed. In fact, the, the blocks were, were pretty much up or down one mile an hour, which probably is statistically insignificant. The only, the only place where we really saw significant speed reductions is where we installed those speed cushions and humps um, in this in the second go around. Honestly, I, I haven't taken a good look at the truck data just because the numbers are so low to begin with. Um, I, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Um, but um, you know, I, I know I know there are certainly trucks going through the neighborhood, and I, I know that uh, a lot of delivery trucks. Um, but I, I I have not looked closely at, at the truck data yet. Okay, and. Sorry to be monopolizing here. I just figure I'm on a roll. It's a bit of a segue. Um, you mentioned the uh, single unit truck. That is not a term I'm familiar with, um, but but you brought that up with regards to curb curb cuts, I guess. Um, what is a single unit truck? Yeah, so so it, it's, it'd be your box truck. Oh, okay, like um, it itself is a single unit. Yeah. Okay. And, and so uh, it, we want to make sure um, that 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 traffic, you know, turning right, they 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 have turning templates for all these different design vehicles. And you lay out the intersection, you lay out your barrier, you lay out your curb, and they have turning templates for a single unit truck. And you want to make sure that that, that truck can track through the pavement, you know, not uh, not track over the barrier or especially track over the curb or, 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 the, or the sidewalk ramps, et cetera. So, um, you know, and the thing is, uh, we, we did that for the existing. And actually, if, if you look at, at the turning template for a single unit truck, um, you can make that fit on the existing configuration. So if you have a, if you have a really good driver and they, and they take that turn perfect, they, they can make it work. But um, obviously not everybody's a perfect driver. And so, so again, if, if these go permanent, we can't rely on that. We, we, we have to certainly um, give them some additional room to make that turn. And, and it'll either be a 15 foot. I know the, the city standard for, Blocks like this is 15 foot radius. Um, it, it may be, it may be 20. I, I, I don't know. Okay, thanks. Kind of related to that, um, when you're talking about altering that, you're talking about the the curb returns on the barriers themselves, not not altering the the curbs on the on the street. Is that correct? Actually, actually, we're talking about the the, the corners. Um, okay. Um, on the intersections. <clears throat> Uh, do we have, is that graphic available or exhibit? Okay. I don't have it. Okay. So yeah, it would be, um, uh, let's say something to draw on. Um, it would be the, uh, the corner. So basically, you know, we're, we're, we're a vehicle would be turning into the barrier and making their right. That's, that's the difficult maneuver right now, causing people to cheat over the, over, over the corner. Um, right now, I, I think the radiuses, if anything, are about five to eight feet. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, and um, and so we, we would be looking to rebuild those corners uh, to at least 15 feet. And then if that gets into the to the um, to the sidewalk ramps that are out there now, uh, we we replace those as well, of course, with with ADA ADA ramps, and then any sidewalk extension back to the uh, to the main sidewalk line. Thank you. Quick question on that. So, do you anticipate any of the pedestrian crossings actually getting longer with those curb reconfigurations? If anything, they would get shorter because um, no, I, I don't. They'd probably be, they'd be about the same. Um, but yeah. most of them now are, are past the radius, so most of them are either thirty foot or forty foot, depending on the street width. So no, I, I don't see any of them getting getting longer. Good. Cool. Thank you. Any other technical questions from up here? All right. Um, in that case, let's move into public comment. So. Um, I kind of went over the spiel earlier for general public comment. It still is the same for anybody in the room. We'll need you to approach the podium, sign in, state your name and address, and then you get three minutes. Um, I don't know if the red LED thing is working or if we're going to have one up on the screen, but th- there should be a timer so you'll be able to see yourself. So in fairness to everybody, I'm going to do my best to really try to cap you at three minutes, um, unless you're like right in the middle of a sentence. So think of me like a soccer ref, you know, so that's how we're going to do it. Um, step right up. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Chair and members of the commission. My name is Katie Oliver. I'm a resident of 824 Arkansas and speaking tonight both as a member of the Old West Lawrence Traffic Safety Team and co-president of Old West Lawrence Association. Since our traffic safety team was expanded in February, this team has been meeting bi-weekly to develop a holistic traffic calming plan for the neighborhood. This included a team walk of the neighborhood in April, and we surveyed the pros and cons of the temporary devices in place and discussed alternative traffic calming methods. Our traffic safety team members have committed hundreds of hours to researching and developing these plans with the goal of creating an effective and equitable traffic management plan for our neighborhood. We are requesting an extension of this pilot to allow for a trial of our team developed plan. Following the first phase of the pilot program, the traffic team informed the city and JEO that the excessive diversion of traffic to Maine and Michigan needed to be resolved. When the, city and, when the city and JEO presented the results of the revised layout to the team on Tuesday, May 17th, we again stated that the substantial increases in traffic on Maine and Michigan were still not acceptable outcomes. We urged the city and JEO to consider an alternative neighbor design for a third trial. The team was of the understanding that a second Lawrence Listen survey would be published for the neighbors to provide feedback as communicated in the city press release in March. If the proposal is accepted tonight, this commission is breaking the city's commitment to that second Lawrence Listen survey. Old West Lawrence was excited to be accepted as the first neighborhood to participate in this pilot program, and the outcome sets a precedent for future neighborhoods participating. This recommendation to approve permanent installation of the current traffic calming layout ignores the tireless work and recommendations of our traffic safety team. It disregards the commitments made to Old West Lawrence. It would deny us the opportunity to optimize the safety of our neighborhood. Old West Lawrence deserves a successful outcome for this traffic pilot program. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Hi. Hi, I'm Cindy Gress and my husband, John, and 
And I live at this wonderful intersection of 8th and Main, where we've got that increased 40%. Great. But um, my frustrations, and I would ask and support the request to please consider what the committee has worked so hard on. Um, because basically, we were told it was a trial and that it would be reconsidered at the end. And it sounds like there wasn't enough time to meet with us, he said, so we could figure this out. You know, um, we've lived in Old West Lawrence for 18 years and Lawrence over 40. Um, we believe you owe it to our community to work with our Old West Lawrence community um, to find a solution that benefits the majority. I realize Maine is never gonna be anything but Maine, but 40% increase is a huge increase. Eighth and Maine was awful. Um, there are several flaws in the data um, because I live where the data is gathered. Sometimes we were gathering data when kids were not going to school. They were all being educated from home. Professors were educating through the internet. Um, sometimes we were gathering data when um, there's a break. So nobody's going anywhere, you know, in terms of some of those intersections. Um, I find it interesting that during some of the city trials for counting cars, you know, there was no classes. The classes were online. They gathered more data when KU was out of class. So the instructors and students didn't travel. This trial kind of destroyed a lot of good things that the community of Old West Lawrence had. And we're trying to put that back together by listening to each other and figure out what's best for the entire neighborhood. Oh, I better look at the time. Um, but the, I agree, the, the, the cushions or whatever do slow traffic a little bit, but the numbers are still there. Um, and as we've all gotten our tax statements, my home alone has gone up 55% in less than five years. And so, of course, I was concerned and, and appealed it, and they tell me I live in the most desirable neighborhood in the community. So I'd like to keep it desirable. I giggle at watching the diverters that are laid down because the trucks are driving over. You have to get out of the way because people go the wrong way around the diverter, and they turn to go down the alleys. Um, you might think it works if you see it once in a while, but when you see it on a daily basis, I'm not sure it's the solution. Thank you for your time. I'm not very good at this stuff. I just had to say my little piece. We well, nailed the timing, though. I'm impressed. Perfect. <laughs> That's not common. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, good evening. My name is Marin Bradley, and I've lived with my family at 805 Mississippi for seven years. I'm the former vice president of the Old West Lawrence Neighborhood Association, and I'm the current Pinckney Elementary PTO president. So you could say I have my finger on the pulse of our little corner of the woods. Tonight, I just wanted to give you a little brief history about our OWL traffic safety team, of which I'm on right now, to give you a little perspective where we came from that has shaped where we hope to be heading. When our small traffic committee, which was only three people at the time, at all the beginning of this, if you can imagine, um, that's all that was interested. When they first began meeting with the city and consultant engineers to review the options, um, the members of that team were dissuaded at that time um, by the engineers from choosing more common options that you see around town, such as speed humps and traffic circles. So a different route was chosen. 
The initial plan was approved by the OWL board, of which I was on, under the impression that it was a trial, and unfortunately, it was implemented by the city um, one day before the KUK State football game, which is the largest traffic event for our neighborhood every other year. This caught many people off guard. Neighbors were furious. Things were going badly. However, everyone was finally paying attention and wanting to get involved. So yay, kind of. Um, so the OWL board at that time jumped on that train and opened up the traffic committee again to anyone in the neighborhood who was interested in serving on it. And as you can imagine, from that, we found a very broad committee of people from almost every street that was represented with almost all opinions that could be held about the NTMP pilot. So naturally, at our first few meetings, our ideas for making things right clashed quite a bit. However, we've met in person and via Zoom 13 times for over 40 hours so far since February as our new team. And when we were not in these meetings, we were out listening to our neighbors, out conducting our own traffic audits, researching other methods that other cities had tried so we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we're looking up information on federal grant money availability. We're a group made of engineers and pharmacists, teachers and professors, vice presidents and CEOs of companies. We're very thorough in everything we do. The reason I'm telling you all these details is that I think it's really important for you to know why it's taken us so long to get to where we are. It's because we've been doing our due diligence in listening to our neighbors learning from our mistakes, working together as a team, and making sure that the next iteration will have broad neighborhood support. If any of us had known at the beginning that this project would continue with a version that the residents and neighborhood board unanimously oppose, we would have never proceeded with the installation of the barriers in the first place. We appreciate working with the city and the consultants, um, Dustin and, and Stephen, we love working with you guys. Um, and our all-volunteer team has really been doing some heavy lifting on this project to make sure it's a success in both raw data and perception. Of course, you know that consensus building does not happen overnight, and we'd like you to please give us a little more time and consideration to work with the city to pilot a final version that we believe the community will be excited about. Thanks. Thanks. Good evening. My name is Charlie Sedlock, 630 Indiana Street. I'm a member of the neighborhood traffic team. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you tonight. And thanks to you for ensuring and growing the multimodal possibilities of our public streets. We're excited to, to do the same in Old West Lawrence. And thanks to Dave, Dustin, and Stephen for all their work in the project. Everybody's put in a lot of hours on this. I'd like to talk about the solution because we can't sit here and ask for a variance without providing a solution or a plan. Given the challenges of a grid-based historic neighborhood with much on-street parking, our committee has continued to work diligently to build upon what we learned in the initial part of the process with the city and JEO. In fact, we've been working on this solution since February, right up until the last week. We haven't been holding back. Lots of meetings, hundreds of volunteer hours. And that is why it's taken us a long time. Because our committee members have walked and driven the traffic layout countless times and meeting multiple times per month, we've developed eight different variations to discuss and vote on and push forward that are different than the current traffic configuration. 
our recommended solution, which still needs to be vetted with our neighbors, but we feel very strongly with 100% consensus on our traffic committee, involves cost-effective planter-style choker structures around the circumference of the neighborhood on north-south streets, as well as east-west streets. Additionally, our solution includes cost-effective traffic calming speed humps and small deployable planter-style traffic circles at internal intersections. Specifically for Main Street, we are proposing another radar speed display, a raised crosswalk, Betty, um, a parking-based chicane system using, using the existing parking that's there. Our plan goes further than the current versions to create a safer and more equitable solution for all Old West Lawrence streets, both local and collector. And it should be noted that we believe that based on the learnings from our process in the city, we think this will actually bring speed down. So you asked that question about speeds. We think it will bring speeds down more. I believe our plan will create more multimodal use of our neighborhood streets and increase the return on our investment on these public assets for all citizens of Lawrence. And what we learn from this process should be spread out throughout the city of Lawrence and benefit all neighborhoods. We're appreciative to be part of the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program. We've committed hundreds of volunteer hours to the program. And before I forget and not read my notes, we, we do have layouts. We do have diagrams and schematics. We have been working very hard. This is not some pie in the sky on the back of a napkin design. It was at one time, but uh, it's cleaned up. Thank you, Charlie. Um, can I just have a few more seconds? Okay. Sorry. Um, we've committed hundreds of volunteer hours to the program, and we stand prepared to help improve the process for the city of Lawrence so more of Lawrence can enjoy the streets in their many modes. Having said that, Old West Lawrence Association respectfully requests that the Multimodal Transportation Commission grant us more time to work with the city and vote no on the agenda item before you. By doing so, we and the city can improve the process and the results for all neighborhoods in Lawrence. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, I'm Eric Kirkendall, I live at 714 <clears throat> Mississippi Street. Um, I applaud the city for initiating the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program. Our teams started out knowing nothing we about traffic management. We've learned a lot from the engineers. We've taught ourselves a lot as well. Um, because I want to give you a little bit of history when I talk about Mississippi and Main Streets. Because all West Lawrence is a grid-based neighborhood. You, you've heard about the traffic and safety problems we've had. It's really dangerous. I'll give you one specific. Right before this, I can't breathe in this. <laughs> right before this project kicked off, um, two cut-through drivers uh, collided at about 8th and Indiana. Um, they, their cars crashed into the car of a resident, seriously injuring her, sending her to the hospital, and destroying her car. If this happened right before school left out, let out, and it happened on a block with eight children, so it could have been a lot worse. So that's why we're so we're so motivated to to do that. You've heard about Mississippi Street has 
the worst traffic in the neighborhood. <clears throat> Before this uh, pilot, one of the blocks, the 800 block had 1,200 cars a day. Quite incredible. Uh, there were two, as, as you know, there were two revisions of the plan of the uh, pilot, and I'm calling Rev 1 and Rev 2. Uh, Rev 1 was really successful at reducing traffic volumes on the local streets of Old West Lawrence, 23%, where it was, was very unsuccessful was it pushed most of that traffic to Main Street, which is an arterial, but it pushed more than we anticipated, but even worse. And, and, and even more inequitably, it pushed a lot of traffic to, to Michigan. Uh, we found that unacceptable. That we, it's just not fair for one neighborhood to do that to another. Um, in fairness, I do want to point out the revision one was created in full participation of our team. We simply didn't quite know what we were doing. And, and as has been explained, this, this was a pilot and it was a test and it was a new approach. So uh, after Rev 1, after we saw the data, we asked the city, please consider other approaches. We've started learning about safe streets approaches. We asked them, please consider that or, or other approaches because we wanted to resolve. We wanted to keep the gains we had, but we wanted to resolve those problems. Um, the city uh, chose, chose a, a Rev 2, which was just a modification really of Rev 1. And um, it did a great job in terms of reducing that local traffic Dropped another 10 points. Fantastic. Did nothing to help me in Michigan, unfortunately. So because of that, just two days ago, we voted unanimously to, to move to a different kind of solution if our neighbors like it. Uh, we were 13 people on the traffic team. There's probably 1,000 adults in all West Lawrence. We need, we need the time to involve those folks. Sure. Um, we believe that the approach we have and, and we'd love to talk about it at some point, will be really transformative in, in, for Lawrence. It's a safe streets type approach. It could be applied in any kind of neighborhood. Lawrence hasn't done this before. This is a pilot. We'd like to try it out and we'd like your help and support in doing so. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Thank Hi there, everyone. I'm Kyle Johnson. I live at 705 Main Street with my family. As a resident of Maine, I've been very concerned from the outset about an approach to traffic calming based primarily on the use of barriers or diverters. It was clear to me that this approach would push a great deal of traffic onto Maine and may do very little to stop aggressive speeding in the neighborhood. Most residents of Maine feel that the current solution is inequitable. And because of this, I started out at odds with other members of the traffic team. Uh, I wasn't on the traffic team at the time. Traffic on Maine has gone up by 40%, as has been noted uh, by this program. However, the traffic team expanded, and this group has worked very hard to discuss shared values and form consensus. It says quite a lot that some of us who started out as fiercely divided can now stand up uh, here and speak on behalf of, of our shared solution here, appreciate each other's contributions to this effort, and agree wholeheartedly on next steps. 
Uh, to be honest, I think our group provides an example of how inclusive community governance can work really well. And I'm candidly really proud of our efforts and how our group worked uh, to, to build consensus. Now we need to be given the opportunity or we would appreciate the opportunity to communicate this consensus with the neighborhood and seek their input. We all represent different constituencies and feel strongly that this consensus will heal a rift within OWL that developed over this project and provide very valuable lessons learned for future neighborhoods going forward uh, through this program. Without a doubt, the lessons we've learned during this process will significantly improve the program, but please give us the chance to take it to the finish line. We're very close. Um, also, a few items to note based on Stephen's presentation. The goal was to reduce cut through traffic, but they didn't have a way to measure cut through traffic. And overall, Stephen noticed that traffic difference was went up by 0.34%, almost completely flat. Uh, I, I believe this has been more of a traffic routing project uh, than a traffic calming project that we would all like. And, and the second iteration provided speed humps, and they worked really well. Uh, in fact, uh, Stephen said, and I quote, in all cases, speeds were reduced. However, he said that they were not, uh, that speeds were not impacted except for where those speed humps were installed. So our solution has a lot more speed humps. Uh, in conclusion, we have unanimous support from 11 people who represent different parts of the neighborhood, a strong solution for traffic calming, not just traffic rerouting, an equitable solution that could serve as a model in any neighborhood going forward, and a desire to share our process and solutions with uh, the neighborhood and collect their feedback before moving ahead. Thank you for the opportunity to continue to work to improve this program. Good evening. My name is Haley Bruns. I reside at 810 West 8th Street between Mississippi and Illinois. My driveway is on 8th Street. I am a 21-year resident, and the traffic pilot was a welcome program as I have seen an increase in traffic volume and speed along Mississippi. I joined the traffic committee in February. While version 1 increased the traffic along 8th in front of my house with the implementation of a diverter at 8th and Mississippi, it increased speed and created it decreased speed and created a safer crossing along Mississippi. Unfortunately, this version excluded the eastern part of the neighborhood from using the traffic light at 9th and Mississippi, and this was not an equitable answer for the neighborhood. When version 2 was implemented, the diverter was removed at 8th and Mississippi, and the median at 8th and Illinois was installed. I feel the speed and volume of cars in Mississippi has increased since the diverter was removed. I had direct experience, however, with the new installation as my driveway only allows me to enter from the east and exit facing west. It does force me to Alabama or Maine. This would be the same for anyone heading north on Illinois and encountering the median. The traffic force towards Maine concerns me as we strive to have safe streets for all neighbors, especially with the street lined by houses from 6th to 9th. Through the extensive work of this team, a well-researched, equitable, unanimous plan has been sought. This has been attained by the committee, and I request more time to share it with our neighbors. This is advantageous for our neighborhood and the rest of Lawrence, as, our as other neighborhoods, streets, 
and areas of town seek safer streets. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any additional public comment from those in the room? Okay. Looks like we have quite a few online. So, Christina, if you could, I guess, assist with, um, I don't know how we're going to choose who goes first. Uh, Nancy Stark had raised her hand first. That's as good method as any. Nancy, you have three minutes once you are ready to go. Hi, everybody. Um, I own a little house at 720 Louisiana. I don't currently live there. My tenants do. Um, and I'm not clear if I'm coming back to Old West Lawrence to live in August. But um, I'm still paying attention to what has happened. Um, and I guess um, my the reason I put my hand up so early is I wanted to ask the man doing the presentation whether the after data was collected when KU was not in session. Um, um, because I think that really impacts um, Mississippi um, as a cut through street. And the only general thing I really want to add to what the team has done, I think they've done terrific work. Um, and I would um, encourage you not to dismiss that work by going ahead and voting today, but to um, hold off the vote um, until their suggestions can be fully um, discussed amongst the neighborhood um, and implemented by you and then data be collected on whether that makes a difference. Um, the only comment I would like to make, make is that it feels to me like Main, has kind, Main Street has kind of been thrown under the bus. Um, yes, it is the collect, collector street for medical vehicles going to Lawrence Memorial Hospital, and that is important. But to allow Maine to have a 40% increase in traffic um, is um, not respecting that it's a residential street, just like the other residential streets. Um, and there are lots of other things that I think can and should be considered to not um, just kind of um, uh, allow Maine to not be counted. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, Stephen, I know you want to address that, but I, I think that I've heard it a couple of times. So I'm going to wait until after public comment to address that. Well, thank you. Beth. Okay, who's next on the phone? That would be Ben Hayes. Uh, hello, and thank you. Um, so I've lived, I live at 800 Ohio Street on the corner of 8th and Ohio, and uh, I have lived in various locations in Old West Lawrence since 2010, and frankly would not live anywhere in Lawrence other than Old West Lawrence. I think it is a wonderful place to live. Um, and one of the things that has made it a wonderful place to live has been the incredible uh, spirit of community um, that generally prevails in the neighborhood. Uh, however, the uh, initial deployment of the traffic diverters barriers 
however you characterize them, um, was the most divisive event in, in the time that I have lived in Old West Lawrence. Um, neighbors were set against each other in a way uh, that I have not experienced in the time that I've been here uh, over the effectiveness, the appropriateness, et cetera, of the, of the traffic barriers. So we now have a situation where uh, iteration one has been thoroughly studied and iteration two uh, has been uh, thoroughly studied. Um, however, uh, we have through an iterative process in the neighborhood, achieved consensus um, with uh, representatives from throughout the neighborhood as to what the final solution, and apologies for the term, uh, should look like. Um, and so I think that, you know, for the sake of the, the cohesion of our neighborhood, if for nothing else, um, there should be an opportunity for the committee to uh, present its proposed solution um, to the board. Uh, and, and if further study needs to be done, then okay. Um, but I think that there is, uh, it, it is frankly remarkable that we have a consensus recommendation um, because we started out in a place that was far from consensus. Um, so since we have a consensus recommendation and it is not uh, the current uh, configuration. I think that it is only fair to the residents of Old West Lawrence who have been through a lot uh, over this uh, issue um, to delay uh, final implementation, uh, hear uh, the committee's recommendations, and uh, take appropriate action uh, based thereon. Thank you. Thanks. Who is next? Martha Caminero. Hi, <clears throat> I'm Marta Caminero Santangelo. I live at 639 Mississippi since November. Um, can everybody hear me? Sorry, mm -hmm. just wanted to make sure I could unmute. And my partner is currently building his home at 635 Mississippi. Um, I just want to agree with all of the recent comments that have been made. Um, since moving in, we've been aware that this has been an incredibly contentious and conflicted issue. For the community, I'm really impressed with the Old West Lawrence Association team and the hard work that they've been putting in to reach a solution that would bring the neighborhood together and that would um, receive and account for all of the input that has been uh, given. Um, I'm, I want to second and third and fourth all the requests that the committee be given more time to do its work and present its suggestions and recommendations to the community as a whole. Um, I really feel that uh, voting to approve the current configuration would, it's, it would feel like a, quite honestly, a slap in the face to the, to the neighborhood um, without taking into account, into sufficient account, neighborhood feedback on the current configuration and the second um, Lawrence Listen survey, is that what it's called, has not even been allowed to happen yet. If we vote this configuration in, then we're, uh, it's it would be tantamount to the city saying they don't really want to listen. So I'd really hope that that not be the case. Thank you. Thank you. All right, who's next? No one else has their hand raised at this time. Okay, just a 
I guess, final call then for anybody who is online. If you haven't yet raised your hand, but you did want to comment, please do so now. That is raise your hand, not comment. Not all at once. All right. Um, well, in that case, bring back up to the commission. Thank you, everybody, for your participation. I certainly appreciate that. And I'll, I'll be the first one to say I did not expect that to be as unified as a response as I did, because I hadn't heard from anybody since it was first rolled out and it was kind of the neighborhood civil war. So I assumed it was going to be a whole lot of, of pros and cons. So definitely kudos to the neighborhood for kind of working out your differences and coming to a solution. So I think it's a good model for the neighborhoods. Um, I'm not going to start off. Who else wants to get going? I have a whole bunch of questions. And if I just start, I feel like I'll never end. So. I just have a question for staff. It seems really clear to me that we're considering this before there's been completion of the public input process, and I'd like to know why. Uh, it, it, it was just purely I, I didn't get the survey up and, and ready to go in time to again have it open for at least two weeks and then um, be able to close it and um, pull the data together and, and have that ready to present tonight and so is there any problem with just deferring this Tonight, that could be an action to defer it. I mean, is there any consequence to, from the from your perspective? Does it create a problem for the city to do that? Well, I would say I haven't I haven't seen the proposal that's been worked out. Um, so, I mean, I would like to like to see that. And um, so, I mean, my recommendation based off of the feedback that I've heard tonight would be to um direct us to look at that and the cost and the time to do another round and what the schedule would be um for another for another round yeah that basically covers every single thing i wanted to ask um <laughs> how much longer do you need um and what does the plan look like does it conform to you know metcd or or NACTO for that matter, does it conform to city standards? What does the city think about it? How much more is it going to cost? Those would all be really good to know, but I'm certainly willing to, to um, I suppose, vote in favor of something like that. I did have a couple more questions that are sort of for the group at large. Um, is there anybody who can kind of speak for the group or shall we just do a show of hands? What, what would you prefer? Who's the king? <laughs> or, or the queen for that matter? Okay, that, that's good enough. Um, what do you think the extent of buy-in is for folks who aren't here? For other people in the neighborhood who maybe either haven't been involved at all, like how have you been gauging the response on Facebook and Nextdoor and all that jazz? Do you think it's pretty 100% buy-in at this point now that you've reached consensus? Or at least 50 and up? We, we really do need to roll this out to the neighborhood to, to build that consensus, to be honest with you. But we do have you know, broad geographic representation on the committee now, and especially, you know, from the, the negatively affected roads. And so that's all my comment. If others have, have more to add to that, um, feel free to pop up. 
certainly we we want to be able to take this to our neighborhood in a um, a format to allow them to ask questions about this proposal we have spent hundreds of hours working on. Um, I don't think we would be here if we didn't think that it would be widely supported by the neighborhood. Um, and we're just asking for the opportunity to do that. Okay. I think we kind of represent different constituencies and we can go get our constituencies on board, bring their feedback back to the group and again, work it out. Okay. That's kind of what I figured. I just wanted to kind of hear from you. <laughs> um, what else is going to say? Just out of curiosity, how many of you had not been involved with all this Lawrence goings on prior to the traffic calming pilot, just by a show of hands? Like, he wasn't involved at all? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Who was not involved prior to the traffic calming pilot? Not involved in. But, but now you are. You didn't used to be involved. I was not on the committee. Okay, but this governor. Okay, I just I was just kind of curious because it seemed like that was a common thread that there was a lot of people who hadn't really been particularly involved, but now very much are. So, you know, we, so we, so we, have, you know, we had a smaller committee to begin with for uh, nine months, <laughs> couple months, and then it dramatically expanded by barely four hundred. Yeah. There's another, you know, four or five people who aren't here, but might be listening along. Okay. Thank you. And there were a couple hands raised in the chat. Anybody else? I, the comment that I have is I, you know, I think that we at Nicely need to have the second Lawrence Lesson survey as as response to the second iteration. Um, now, not having seen the proposal and whether it's viable or you know whether affordable, a whole, a whole lot of issues that we don't know about. But I think that you know that if it seems to me that we need to at least have that next step of public input, um, you know, to, to be able to do due diligence in terms of recommending a, a way forward. Um, so I was going to ask, has JEO and MSO yet looked at the ALP proposal? It sounds like no, but that's the next step. Um, and Charlie already asked, what are the consequences if we were to delay decision? It sounds like not really anything, right? It's not like we need to meet a budget cycle or anything if we were to um, kind of pump the brakes on this. No, okay. um, the, it would just be delaying uh, another another round. So I would say, uh, you know, we would look at look at the option. And then if we were to implement something that would need and get traffic data it would occur in the fall when school is back in session so that it's compared to the data before when school was in session. Okay. And that kind of segues actually into another thing that I think was a common thread. Um, there was a couple of commenters who noted on the possible, I guess, the possibly dubious timing of some of the data collection. So um, Stephen, I was hoping you could comment on that or Dustin or whoever was in charge of that. We could get a general sense of when data was collected because I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll be brief. I, I have the dates, but we we purposefully, of course, we we, we had before data uh, last fall, and then and then at, and then the between data, um, uh, late fall, early winter, and then of course the after data this 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 past spring. We purposefully you know avoided Thanksgiving break. We purposefully tried, we not tried, we did make sure that we collected uh, our our data before stop day in December and before, and, and we avoided spring break this spring. We got we got done before stop day this spring. So we we really tried to keep um, the uh, KU's calendar in mind 
uh, as we as we collect the data. So I and I, I I do have the exact dates of all the um, of all the counts. If anyone's interested, that's okay. It's not like I'm that familiar yeah. with the academic calendar. Yeah. Um, in in terms of the issue of students being in campus or on campus for classes or not, I, my memory of recent history is failing me. When did KU go back to largely in person learning versus online? I believe it was last fall, wasn't it? Yeah, last fall. Yes. In the fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. At least my daughter said she was here, so I I'm, <laughs> I'm going on that. Okay. Thank you. Um, I was also curious. Sorry, I should have told you to stay up there. Um, somebody brought up <laughs> bad behavior around diverters. Could you comment on, I guess, your experience and what the literature says, maybe about how diverters induce bad behavior in drivers? Well, I mean, I ideally, a permanent installation, it would be very, very, very uncomfortable to drive over. Because uh, these are temporary; they're just they're just rubber curbs, and um, yeah, I mean they're 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 probably not. Uh, I haven't tried it, <laughs> but uh, they they're probably they're, they're probably not too uncomfortable to drive over because these are just temporary installations. Um, so again, you know, you just you just have to rely on you you put up the signing, you put up the markings, you you rely on on, on the drivers to make the right decision, but a lot of people don't, and um, but any permanent installation would be designed to really make it uncomfortable for somebody to try to, to try to mount them. Okay. Thank you. I got a quick question. <clears throat> Should have asked this before. Are the speed feedback signs, are those uh, permanent or are those part of the, the temporary installation? It was, it was part of the temporary installation, but I, I think there's been so much, I, I, I be careful what I say as speaking for the city, but I, I think that there's been so much positive feedback about it. I, I, is it even a, is it a, is it a temporary device out there or is it, or is it a permanent application item? They could be either, but we, we've intended them to be uh, temporary so that we can use them throughout the city. Okay. We have left these up longer term, you know, throughout the study period of this project. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, That's a question for Dave, I guess. Um, so are both main and six feet arterials, or are they some kind of sub-classification within the arterial bucket? Main and sixth. Sixth. Sixth Street's a principal arterial. Um, main Street is a uh, collector. Okay, so it's not even an arterial. It's just a collector street. Okay. Does that prohibit any sorts of traffic calming or other street treatments that could be done on Main since it's not a local street? Yeah, c- collector streets, um, we uh, don't do uh, diverters, anything that cuts off emergency access um, or raised raised speed humps. Uh, we do the speed cushions on collector streets that have the cutouts so emergency vehicles um, can go through and, and not uh, delay their response time. So what they about, uh, chicanes and circles. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if we've done a traffic. We've done some tra- traffic circles on a few collector streets. Uh, obviously, we'll slow down response times, but as long as emergency vehicles can get through, and it's, you know, when we uh, do traffic calming uh, projects, uh, we do that in coordination with uh, fire and med um, to make sure that you know depending on their routes, um, that it won't impact their, their service delivery, delivery times, but, um, it's, it's an option. 
Yeah. Our, the our other rule was the other one you mentioned. Other oh, uh, uh, chicanes, especially chicanes, if they're parking yeah. chicanes. We we did chicanes on Twenty First Street. That's definitely yeah. local, right? Yep. It's uh, collector. Who is it? Okay. In Harvard. Yeah. The road goes right by the high school, right right uh, south of the high school. Yep. Harvard is a collector. Harvard it, is a collector. And it has several circles. It's got traffic circles. Hmm. So chicanes are a maybe. Sounds like is a jury out on whether that would be acceptable on on Maine or not. I don't know if that's what you guys are proposing. I'm just kind of seeing what's available here. Well, we you know we need to look at the details of the street width and and uh, the the design of the chicane. I, you know, I would tell you I think it, we we would want to still maintain two way traffic mm -hmm. on Main Street. When you get into a chicane, it really narrows the road, and so there may be some concern about um, about that uh, from emergency vehicles. And the other the other thing with the chicanes is it would just uh, there would be some removal of parking, but and so depending on where those are at, um, you know. So okay, so we've done them before. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anybody else have any other questions, comments? Yeah, I had a question. Um, I'm just curious how big of a chunk of the budget is the pilot program? Like if we're adding another pilot, you know, it'd be a shame to burn up much more of the budget on the pilot and have less for, you know, permanent infrastructure. I'm just curious how big of the chunk it is to do, you know, we're adding one more pilot to the project potentially. Uh, we estimate it would be another uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars for another iteration of data collection analysis, and and you know uh, coming up with an, a, a plan for an, a different recommendation. So it looks like in the budget, and I know we're skipping ahead to the next agenda item, but the information's there um, for the twenty twenty-two budget. It looks like there's fifteen thousand for the permanent traffic calming design. 15,000 for the data collection equipment, though I don't know if that's purchase or rental or what, and then $10,000 for supplies for the temporary installations. And again, I don't know if that's something that you can reuse in different pilots or not, but yeah, that, that sounds like that kind of tracks, might be on the low end based on what I'm saying here, but okay. So, all right. And then a permanent traffic calming installation is 158,000 here. Is that the one for Old West Lawrence then? Or is that just an estimate for just a generic traffic calming? The uh, 158,000 was um, a cost estimate based on the, the recommendation tonight. Okay, sounds good. Doesn't sound like a huge amount of dollars in the grand scheme of things. The total budget for each year just is, it's about 275,000-ish, kind of varies year to year, but that's about on average what the program costs. Okay, um, I'm about ready for a decision. Anybody else have any final Comments, questions, or the time for motion. I mean, I, I wonder if we could entertain feedback just on the budget um, from the residents, whether or not. You now, it sounds like we <clears throat> probably do want to definitely do another pilot, but knowing that it's about 16% of, you know, the budget of the final installation, would you still, uh, you know, choose that option? 
I guess, with as much consensus? Sure. It's a great question. Um, I think, uh, you know, all the, we, we all put our best foot forward on this, on the data collection. It was a challenge. We actually are all data collectors walking around every day, driving every day, and we really understand what we have. We actually would probably, um, uh, if we can work it out with the city, uh, choose a street or two to try this on and um, not expend a, a massive amount on data collection. Um, like, like, like it was mentioned earlier, we're a group of folks that are, are used to, you know, working with engineers, working with projects, working with municipalities and counties. We think that we can creatively stay within this budget and uh, um, achieve a, a, an outstanding solution here. We just think we let, let us let us meet with the city and uh, meet with them and discuss these opportunities and, and options. And we think that we can um, come up with a fantastic solution. And on the chicanes, I think, I think once we look at the alignment, we want emergency vehicles to get everywhere on time. Um, we think the, we have plenty of, of road width for what we're proposing, but naturally, you know, Dave, Dustin, Stephen, they need to look at it as well. I'd like to just add in there. I know we have a budget, but in my opinion, it'd be more useful to figure out what the neighborhood really wants and what that might cost and then deal with the cost as a separate item. I mean, that's something the city commission would need to consider. Yeah. But in most neighborhoods, if there's enough agreement on something, people were willing to, to help with that cost. And the city has mechanisms to, you know, essentially allow a neighborhood to establish a benefit district and pay for it. So if that's to the benefit of the neighborhood and they can mobilize enough support for that, it seems like it should be, shouldn't be taken off the table before they even get there. So that would be my opinion. I don't, I don't know that it's outside of our scope, obviously, but the neighborhood doesn't have a scope. Except <laughs> where they can figure out and how they can get it done. So I'd like to see them, you know, have a chance to do that. I think one last comment I'd like to make is just that, you know, this is a pilot project and it's intended as a pilot project for the rest of the community. And I think getting this process right in the in the pilot project in terms of public in, engagement and input is really important as we go forward to other uh, other you know neighborhood projects and so um you know to to cut off that you know that public input too too soon i think would kind of um, circumvent you know the the idea of the of the program itself yeah that's pretty much what i wanted to say that it's not just a technology pilot it's an engagement pilot and encouragement pilot and just like how to how to run these things. And it's similar to the sidewalk repair program where we're still kind of figuring it out or bike boulevards, they're all pretty new. So um, some kind of grace and leeway is to be expected with timing and budget, I think. But also to, you know, recognize the, you know, the effort of staff and the consultant in terms of the work they've done so far and, you know, not to, you know, cast a, a negative look at, at all of that, but that, you know, that we're all, all learning as we as we go forward. Anything else from up here? Otherwise, I'd entertain a motion to do something. 
<laughs> I, <clears throat> I move that we defer approval of the recommended permanent traffic calming installation in the Old West Lawrence neighborhood. Second. Okay. Any further discussion before we do roll call? Okay. Christina, please. Oh. Uh, Douglas. Sorry. Sorry. I just knew it was behind me. <laughs> Damon Baltesca? Uh, yes. Laura Bennett? Yes. Will Sharp? Yes. Aaron Payton? Yes. Pat Collette? Yes. Charlie Bryan? Yes. Nick Kuzmiak? Yes. Douglas Redding? Yes. Althea Schnacki is absent. Motion carries eight to zero. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, I it's been almost two hours straight. I'm almost thinking it might not be a bad idea to do a quick break because I think the next one's going to be kind of a doozy. So, um, not a bad doozy, just a detailed doozy, right? So, um, I would I would pr propose that we uh, reconvene at eight if that's all right with everybody. Yeah, sure. So, all right. Yep. Thanks, so. <clears throat>
and then also use the traffic safety reporting tool uh, concerns we were getting through those as we were doing that data collection we would uh, look for hotspots in the in the reporting tool and and collect data on those and then use that data to um, determine our, our locations for targeted enforcement because we did again with the uh, 2021 program had uh, a line item in the budget for enforcement specifically and uh, we were able to use that and the data to uh, do our targeted enforcement. And then again, we, we in 21 started the um, traffic calming pilot project with Old West Lawrence and, and have continued into 2022 with our second iteration. And so this is our um, draft of our 2022 uh, budget for the neighborhood traffic management program. And I'll, I'll try and be a little brief on the on the line items as, as we do have descriptions below and, and I'll answer any questions if you have them. So again, we had budgeted for uh, another uh, neighborhood to study and having a consultant on board to help with that. Um, again targeted enforcement with a dedicated funding to provide that enforcement with the pd and then uh, printing and media uh, that's uh, kind of backstocking the um, education and outreach campaign materials uh, the yard signs were uh, had a huge demand for those we actually uh, reordered in the fall and had distributed all of the yard signs, but we do have backstock of, of most of the other uh, material that we printed for the campaign, but we would like to restock the yard signs. Um, and then the supplies for temporary ins installations were <clears throat> kind of literally nuts and bolts and, and signposts for um, what similar to what we did with the pilot pro project this year the temporary installations that we evaluate as part of the pilot project data collection equipment we do have a kind of ongoing annual fee for um, subscription fees for uh, most of our uh, traffic counting equipment has cellular data connections and um, typically some sort of data management fee because they they all have an online dashboard that we can access and, and see the data almost in real time um, and then the last couple items were uh, to close out the the old west lawrence project was um, we would need to uh, have a design consultant help us with uh, design for the permanent installation and then the actual the hundred fifty eight thousand dollars. the last item there was the cost estimate for the the uh, installation that we recommended earlier um, and then if we scroll down just to the bottom of the page is, is uh, some uh, new information that's not the line item. So just kind of a accounting of uh, last year to this year. In 2021, we did not use all of the, the budget that we had because we uh, had um, intended to roll some of that into this year for the permanent installation of the old West Launch project. So that was $118,000 rolled from 2021 to 2022. 
And then, uh, but we did end up using 26,000 of that 118 for the, I guess we'll call it the third round of, of data collection, the, the evaluating the second iteration of the um, pilot project. And so then we do the math and based on our, our recommended total budget for 2022 of 273,000, we would need to uh, do a budget adjustment within MSO to move an additional 181,000 into the 2022 budget to um, I guess accommodate the, the draft budget that's at the top. Um, and then looking ahead to 2023, we're kind of having those conversations currently and, and we're proposing 300,000 uh, for the 2023 neighborhood traffic management program budget. Okay, so I guess that uh, concludes the the um, items on the on the draft budget for 2022. If uh, if we have any comments or questions on that, yeah, I think it's a good idea to probably break this down into budget work plan and then revisions. So um, let's go with that. So any sort of technical questions from commissioners on that? I think this came up earlier, but for the targeted enforcement, that's paying for overtime hours. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think we, we found a pretty clean way to make sure that the program is only paying for enforcement because it's on a, an overtime volunteer basis by the by the actual officers. And then that also, since it's volunteer overtime, we're not taking away from their other uh, services that they would be doing during their normal shift. So it's clean for them, clean for us to, to get what we pay for. So in the, so in the, this next budget, then you would also still have targeted enforcement that would go forward in the, for 2023. Is that, is that going to be a line item in 2023? We definitely would intend to, to continue the targeted enforcement. Okay. Uh, we get a lot of requests for enforcement and it's very effective. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how the budget works, honestly. So 2021 rolled 118 over into 2022, which was originally planned for 273 in total, right? So to make up that additional, you need the 181,000, you know, more or less. It says here though that a budget adjustment within MSO needs to be 181,000. So does that mean that it wasn't originally planned? Like we knew it was gonna cost 273,000, but we didn't budget anything. So all we have is leftover. We have to add new budget from MSOs overall. I'm not sure I follow. Yeah, Dave Kern, I'll jump in. That's that's correct. So the, the neighborhood traffic management program used, was in the CIP. Um, last year got removed from the CIP and it was put in the operating budget or two years ago. And so it was not in the operating budget in 2022. So um, I believe we we could find the funds to roll over the amount that we need to do what we would have done for the program if we had 300,000 or 275. So, that, so that's what we presented tonight, how we would break it up given that we had those funds. Um, depending on what, where we end up with uh, permanent traffic calming in Old West Lawrence and the cost of that, that's going to, I mean, that's where we would, you know, we had intended to spend some of that money on the permanent uh, installation. That may not happen 
uh, this year, uh, or may not all, maybe we do a portion. I don't know. It just depends on, we got some work to do on that, but, uh, um, so this, I think at this point, um, I, I would say that this is kind of in flux given that the old West Lawrence, we're going to do some more work on it. And the, the study consultant, the 50,000 on there, that was, um, the intention was to go to have another neighborhood or another, you know, review of uh, a neighborhood program like we did in Old West Lawrence. So that, um, or I think we're going to need to put that on hold until we finish the Old West Lawrence mm -hmm. project. I agree. Um, and so that money, you know, you know, we, we set the budget last year in 2021 and we had a hundred, we didn't spend 118,000 we spent a lot, but we didn't spend it all. And so, um, this is the way we would spend the, the money. And I think it's going to, some will come in more, some will come in less, but, um, just looking for any feedback on what we had, you know, how we would recommend the 273, but again, the top, the 50,000 and the 158, well, and then the design too. I don't know what the design just depends on, you know, where we land with the neighborhood on that. So those, you know, how we spend those dollars, um, don't know yet. Um, so I think I'm starting to get it. Uh, is the $26,000 for the old West Lawrence pilot, the only thing that's been spent of that rollover budget? That's okay. correct. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so basically what we're looking at is, 118 minus 26 plus 181 gets us to 273, which was the plan. <coughs> My question is, um, if the city moved NTMP from the CIP to MSO's operating budget, which is a heck of an alphabet, alphabet soup, um, did they did they correspondingly increase MSO's operating budget, or were they just like figured out? I I don't know what what happened with that. The, the determination was made on the CIP that since there's some not all of the money is being spent on capital improvements. We sure. spend money on the, you know, equipment and well, some equipment and data collection. And um, so uh, in discussion with finance, I think last year they decided to, and I thought it was in there this year, but it wasn't. So it was a mistake that we made. And, uh, but not, I'm not saying we couldn't do what we intended to do if we can find some money to do it. And I think that's, that's what we would recommend if we had, you know, something to spend it on. Yeah. So, so do you think, um, I guess, where are you thinking the money would come from? What are the consequences, for example, of us proving this? So we're going to miss out on stuff on, on motorized projects or something completely out of our jurisdiction. Yeah. Well, I would, uh, we're, we're on this item tonight, we're getting feedback. We're not approving it. Um, and I think we need to have some more discussions, um, given the the pilot project on on what we would recommend to move forward and how much money we may need, but um, I you know we still do want to do some of the, you know work on the enforcement and education that we, we don't want to lose momentum on that. So um, I guess it's kind of tricky because I mean knowing what we know in this bubble. Yeah, I would definitely vote to increase it or just give you feedback and recommendation that we should get us up to that $273,000 that was originally planned. But the huge gap in my knowledge is like, what are we taking away from with that, right? Is it something that's even um, more important? 
You know, is it going to require cutting staff hours? Is it going to require deferring pothole maintenance, right? Like I, I have no idea what the magnitude is of stuff that isn't going to happen. Or maybe there is an additional, you know, 180,000 in the budget that just kind of snuck in there. I don't know. So that would be my feedback is that I personally would need more information to make a decision. <laughs> um, does anybody else have any comments on that? We'll have to provide some kind of unified feedback, I think. So. Well, I think regarding the budget, <clears throat> I think the issue is a lot of the funds are really programmatic. And then there's kind of a, a line that is probably more appropriate to be in the CIP. <clears throat> but however the city wants to manage it, <laughs> that's their call. I just see it as there's probably too much of this that is not CIP, that it has to be under operating expense. And that's good for us because that this is more than just building speed humps, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> I see it as it's really good that we have operating funds to do traffic work in neighborhoods. And a lot of this seems to be, you know, the engagement process, which the city cares about. So let's assume that they want to fund that kind of work. I mean, we got a whole neighborhood that's figured out how to work together to come up with a proposal that apparently months ago no one saw coming, right? Because they were pretty divided over this. So it feels like yeah. they were able to demonstrate, you know, that even if this wasn't orchestrated by the city, like there's there's a reaction from the neighborhood. They got engaged um, probably to everyone's benefit, at least fingers crossed. I mean, it looks like that's where it's headed. I think when you mentioned the fact that the bigger chunk is not programmatic, but is in fact really a capital expense being that it's over 100,000, I guess that's a question for MSO. Um, when you talked with finance, did they know that this project was going to be over 100,000 or was that not yet decided at the time? It wasn't decided. Is there any way we can kick this back and say like, no, this definitely is a capital project and should be on CIP? I mean, whether it's a capital project or a portion is or not, it's, it's the program, it's the program fund so i um because we're really, an emergency thing for this year right because we don't really know where the funds are coming from like in the future it really should be in programming i yeah agree with that well we that's on that's staff's responsibility to, to identify the funds and justify the use of them so okay. that's our next step um and um yeah but i you know if you have any feedback on on percentages of what we've outlined you, you know Think maybe we should do more enforcement or, um, you know, more data collection. Um, we'd welcome that. I mean, we we've uh, you know we showed you the map earlier of the complaints that we've received mm -hmm. the requests and um, speeding all over the community. And you know, it's um, we we can't build a speed hump on every street or traffic calming on every residential street. This is not feasible. So it's we want to continue to do some of the education and, and enforcement and um how did the what was the budget for targeted enforcement last year? We budgeted 40 but we were only able to spend about 25 just okay. due to PD availability. Yeah. So they did as much as they could and they did a lot. 
but we only spent about 25. And is your sense that that was well worth it? I mean, I, I think so. So is it necessary to spend even more on that or? Is it is possible 20... to spend even more on that, right? Yeah. If they didn't have the time last year. They're going to have the time this year and it's already June. So I don't know. It's, that's it's maybe a $10,000 line item instead. That's that's basically where the, the 20,000 number came from was that we, we spent 25 okay. last year and we weren't going to get it, you know, up and rolling until June this year. And making that small adjustment is overall doesn't mean because there's flexibility there, right? If you don't spend it on targeted enforcement this this year, you could spend it on other things that mm -hmm. that may cost more. So, I mean, twenty thousand to you know fifteen or twenty thousand to twenty five is not in the scheme of things is not a huge percentage. And so, I'd, I'd say that you know if you if you know that 40,000 was more than you could get from PD, then, um, you know, having some number less than that makes sense. And that if you do have the flexibility in line items to, to tweak it a little bit as you go, once you know what actual expenses are, I think that makes total sense. The 10,000 for supplies for temporary installations is that to buy more stuff or to replace stuff? Um, that would not be purchasing any new like rubber speed humps or curb. That's basically literally the, the bolts that hold them in the ground. And I think we spent over 5,000 just on signposts and the, and the signs that were out for that. So it's, it's really just kind of an, an operating expense of, of doing the temporary installations. Are you not able to reuse the equipment anywhere? I mean, obviously not the anchor bolts, right? But we, we no, we we do intend to, to reuse the the rubber curb and the and the speed humps that you know provided they're still in good shape, which they are supposed to have that kind of durability that you can pick them up and move them around. Okay. Any other comments, questions from up here? How about the budget? Yeah, comments about the budget. Basically, I mean, at this point, I feel like the only feedback I can give is that what I'm seeing looks good, but I won't be able to make any decision, which is not being asked of us, but I won't be able to make any decision until I know where it comes from. But I mean, in terms of proportions and amounts, it looks pretty in line with what we've seen last year and adjusted for the realities of how it went. Dustin, I'm assuming that this is the budget that you crafted. Do you have any qualms about any part or any further provisions or you think this probably makes sense given what you've seen? Yeah, I wouldn't say I had any qualms with it. And, and, and you were correct in stating that the, uh, the, the 2022 budget was basically, you know, looking what we actually spent in 2021 and, and, and projecting that forward with the unknowns being the, the permanent installation and how much that would cost. We didn't know that until, you know, just a couple of weeks ago when we, when we kind of finalized our recommendation. Okay. Well, that's all I need to know. Does anybody else have anyone other budget related questions, work plan stuff? Uh, so there's work plan budget and then revisions to the program. Yeah. So we're just going to talk about budget and work plan now and then revisions after that. So okay. I think that should make sense. I'm, I mean, if we have to revisit it, then we will. But. I guess I'm not sure I'm finding the work plan. 
Is it? Can you tell me what page that's on? I, I guess the the work plan would be kind of the the details of the line items, the text below the the budget numbers, which kind of spell out what Got it. that money is being spent on. I guess I was expecting something more along the lines of a timeline and proposal around putting out a request from the neighborhoods and such. I have a feeling until we know the level of effort in the form of how much budget is allotted to each light item, we probably can't know the exact schedule because I guess that would depend on the money, right? Like if you only have $10,000 for target enforcement, then you'd go about it differently than if you had 20,000, I guess. So, okay. So it sounds like this is kind of the draft work plan based on what we know about the budget, but we'll learn more about it as we kind of dial in these numbers. Yeah, it's a little more conceptual at this point until we do dial in the numbers and, and then we can 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 put that to a schedule. Okay. Well, if there aren't any other comments on this one, I, I think we can probably sum it up that our feedback is we generally agree with what we're seeing here so far based on what we've been told. It looks decent, but we'll be curious to see how it evolves once you learn more. And we would definitely like to see information brought back if possible on where the reallocation is coming from to fund the gap. So unless there's any other, I guess, specific items that you're hoping to get feedback on, I think that's probably it for us. No, I didn't, <clears throat> didn't have any specific questions from my end, but I appreciate all the, the feedback and comments. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for explaining it. It was a little bit confusing, but I think I get it. So shall we go on to revisions then? Sure. Sweet. Okay. So the second half of the item is um, some proposed revisions to the neighborhood traffic management program as a whole. And, and I think all of these come kind of directly from lessons learned uh, as, as we've implemented the program and, and specifically the old West Lawrence uh, traffic calming pilot project. Um, so, and the, I guess the first one isn't specific to old West Lawrence, but it is a common concern we have or a common request we get is for a speed hump on one street, one block and the revision to the neighborhood traffic management program kind of eliminated that capability to, to be that, um, flexible, I guess it, we were intending to take a, a neighborhood wide approach to traffic calming. And so, um, we still get these uh, individual requests for speed humps and, and don't have a great way to respond to them currently. So we would um, propose to, to add that back into the, the program of the application doesn't have to be from a neighborhood, neighborhood association. It could be, you know, one street, one block, you know, show a coalition of support from your neighbors and, and it would be considered you know, with the application process. Um, so the second uh, revision that we're considering is, uh, uh, and this is definitely a lesson learned from Old West Lawrence, was we needed to do more uh, broader public engagement on the front end of the project, um, both to make sure that we're, we're hearing from everyone in the neighborhood, not just the team that, that is engaged with us directly, but 
uh, any anyone that would be impacted, but then also serves as, as just a second or however many kind of heads up, hey, we're starting the project. Do you want to be involved? Here's how to get involved. Here's how to, to give us your input before any decisions are made. Um, and then the, the third bullet there is to, um, again, this is definitely a lesson learned from old West Lawrence, is to, uh, to add back the thresholds that we had with the previous traffic calming policy um, so that we're not uh, expending resources, putting traffic calming on streets that, that don't need them, if you will, you know, based on uh, measurable thresholds of, you know, five miles per hour over the posted speed limit or, or traffic volumes that, that meet a minimum threshold before we would consider putting, a, you know, a diverter on, for instance, I think it was Ohio Street only had, you know, two to 300 vehicles per day uh, in the before data. So this is this is a way to, to help address that and, and make sure we're staying really focused on where the, the problems are and where the data shows us the problems are and and not having to rely so much on the anecdotal stuff we hear from the neighborhood. You know, obviously we, we still listen and consider it, but use the data to, um, I guess prove if, if it is actually a, a, a problem on specific streets before we would would go to the, the effort of putting traffic coming out and collecting additional data, evaluating all of that, uh, again, resources expended. Um, so I think I had, uh, we scroll down, marked up the, this uh, document here at the end, <clears throat> this was an exhibit that was attached to the resolution that established the neighborhood traffic management program. So this attachment kind of had some more detail that wasn't in the, the text of the resolution. And so the, the red here is my um, incorporating the, the bullet points from above into the actual document that, that kind of the program is, is based on. Yeah, so the section five is is the is, I guess the of the five E's. It's the engineering side, so it's the neighborhood application. So whether it's a whole neighborhood or we get other requests um, that are smaller scale, uh, we talked about a little in the study session. Um, I think that's where we we really need to um, have more detail on on how we get those requests, how we handle them, um, and. Uh, whether or not we go back to the exact same criteria we had before in the traffic calming policy or not, that's where we started with putting some data, some numbers in there. Cause we would like to have something to evaluate the problem. Um, so, um, so that's, that was a starting point uh, for, for our revision, I guess, on the, on the data. <clears throat> Shall we open up to questions and discussion or Dustin, was there anything else? Um, no, I, th I think I'm, I'm, I'm ready for uh, discussion. Sounds good. Any public comment on it? Hmm, it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah, let's do public comment, please. I think we've had enough technical questions for right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Thanks, Charlie Sedlock, 630 Indiana. Um, do I have the three minute limit? Yeah. Great. Um, can we submit written comments? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So let me just quickly roll through this just so you guys get a feel for it and then we'll follow up with with written. First of all, uh, I think it's great that the city is, is looking at this from a continuous improvement model. Um, that, that's great that we're always trying to trying to get better. Um, Real quickly, um, highly recommend keeping the neighborhood uh, uh, program, adding the individual requests, I think it is very good. Um, recommend gathering data prior to design so we can fully characterize the problem and the potential solutions um, up front. Um, use the 85th percentile posted speed limit for design and device selection especially in a slow neighborhood like Old West Lawrence. It's very critical. Announce and present the project budget and cost and potential solutions to the neighborhood. So there's clarity and we don't have, um, you know, a lot of movement there. Communications and engagement, um, website presence, neighborhood meetings on input, neighborhood meetings on conceptual, neighborhood meetings on implementation plan. Here again, not trying to meeting everybody out, but we've learned a lot. Um, require geographic representation on neighborhood committees to ensure resident driven solutions. We've, we've gone all the way around the horn, as you've seen, uh, slow down the process for public input. I love the speed I'm in business. I love the fact that you guys had a, a, a cadence that was quite speedy. It doesn't work really well when you're uh, working in a, a public solution. That's why I'm in business. Um, high quality data is, in, is is vital. If there is a monitoring solution like you guys were talking about earlier, it is that would be a fantastic uh, resource. Um, neighborhoods like Old West Lawrence um, really are should be considered whether you want to call it that or not, but a slow zone at 20 miles an hour. And I think the corridors or collectors should be slow zone collectors and should be classified as such. Um, and they should also be at 85% uh, percentile. And um, any surveys that you use, just really be careful with the design. Uh, my wife does that for a living and I, I know what happens on her side when things go sideways. And when you're uh, designing them, if you could look at the results for the overall what Lawrence thinks, but also be able to dial into what the neighborhood thinks. You can kind of see, do the neighbors hate it or does everybody else hate it or the neighbors love it or everybody else love it? Because uh, it is hard to ascertain. Thanks. Interesting. Thanks, Love. Feedback. Thank you. Okay. Is there any public comment on the phone slash Zoom? looking like a no. All right, well, let's bring it back up to the commission. Does anybody have general comments, questions um, for either each other, Dustin or whoever else? I just had one question about the thresholds that are being added. I'm just curious, um, would these thresholds prohibit any of the Old West Lawrence streets from getting calming that you know of? There were some streets that were less than the thresholds, I believe, but it's right, Dustin. Uh, yeah, uh, there were only two or three streets that would have met the thousand vehicles. <clears throat> Definitely were some on the first iteration, because gotcha. we had traffic coming on Ohio and Louisiana that had two or three hundred vehicles per day, which is not very much, and the speeds 
the bricks, we had brick streets and they were, the speeds were low because they got the brick streets. And so we couldn't justify that. So that was one of the things we scaled back on the plan that we developed with the neighborhood to start. We said, well, is there really a need to have traffic coming on the streets? Let's take it off and see what the data tells us. So um, I think we need to have something, but um, hmm. that's what we used to do with the traffic calming policy before we had this program. And so I guess just for everyone's benefit of how that worked was we looked at everything in isolation. So we would get a, um, uh, you know, like 800 block of main, someone would call in. And so we would, we would survey that block and get, we would need to get 70% of the neighbors adjacent to the device to agree before we put it in and it would need to meet the thresholds. Um, and so sometimes if you were looking at a bigger neighborhood like Old West Lawrence, it would depend on where you put the device on what the, um, you know, if it was a traffic circle, it'd be 70% around the intersection. If it was a speed hump, it'd be 70% around the mid block. So it could depend on who weighed in. Mm -hmm. And so really that, that the approval process under the old um, system really doesn't, would not work in situations like Old West Lawrence. So we, we didn't, you know, we had that question come up um, in some of our early meetings about like, how do you know if it's right? Like, is there, is it approval? You know, is it just yes up, yes no, vote on if this happens or not? And so we didn't obviously didn't have an answer. We want to get you know what the majority want to see, but um, we didn't we didn't criteria it as well. We need to get over fifty percent of owners or residents. Mm -hmm. So. I have a comment about the um, revising it to um, to allow for smaller geographic areas to you know possibly a single street or a single project. And I mean, it seems like with the old traffic safety commission and that you know their main function was just approving traffic calming and and they were really backed up. There was a, a big long list. I'm concerned about. Um, you know, the impact on the budget and how you would prioritize these, some of these smaller projects or what percentage of the budget these smaller projects would get versus a neighborhood approach, a more systemic approach um, and how, you know, how that would, how that would work out. And, you know, thinking about single street, um, you know, and the recommendations that they might have, say, for instance, we're looking at Old West Lawrence and, if we had just been looking at Main Street, what recommendations would they have had versus the the whole neighborhood? So I don't. I just. I'm. I'm not sure how how that would play out. I mean, I certainly understand from our earlier discussion in the study session and, and being able to respond to those to those other concerns. Um, but in terms of this program, how that would all, if you have an idea of how that might all fit together. Um, you know, percentage going to one part of it versus another. And would that compromise the neighborhood approach? It's kind of the same thing that we ran into, I guess, with the with the sidewalk replacement program, you know, looking at a, a whole zone and then um, versus, you know, looking at the really critical uh, areas where, you know, there was, you know, a more critical need perhaps on, on certain uh, sidewalks. So, Mm -hmm. We're gonna answer first, sir. 
Oh, I guess my only comment would be, it just it depends on the situation. Like we don't want to look at it street by street in like old West Orange or the grid network areas where if you do something on just for an example, main street that, that pushes traffic to Arkansas, Missouri or whatever there, but there could be instances where you still have streets where uh, people are using them as a cut through to avoid uh, a busier street or a, intersection um and we've had a few that were you know that we've seen through the traffic through the reporting website where we've gone out and gotten data and it's it was really isolated to that street Mm -hmm. where if you did did something or didn't do something there it wouldn't affect any other street right um and so i think we you know we need to be responsive to some of those and say okay well this is a problem and it meets the criteria. Maybe that's, and it's, you know, that, that could be funded and done, you know, pretty easily through the program. And so it might be a combination of, of some smaller projects and then a neighborhood. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I would tell you the the neighbor, we've learned a lot on the program. We spent a lot of time on it um, over a year and, and going, so a lot of staff time too. So, I think we're, um, you know, that's my other concern is if we do a whole other neighborhood to the time of, can we deliver it in a year or does it need to be a couple, a year and a half or two years? And maybe we do, you know, a longer pro- neighborhood project, but then we have some smaller ones that we can, that we can knock out. So there was like 20, some 20, 25, I think that were on the unfunded list when we scrapped the old program. Um, and uh, that had, that had met this criteria, and so I think it's important to have some criteria in there because we told them we're not going to, you know, we we um, did not do traffic calming on those streets, but I don't want to start spending money on other streets that were lower. I don't want to say lower priority; they just weren't as big of a problem, mm-hmm. and so that's the struggle. Right. That I think we have because we've got limited funds and time and we want to prioritize them. But we've got, I mean, you can see all the red dots. We've, those are all the complaints we've gotten about just speeding. Um, and so that's, yeah. So I think we would like to, to have some sort of hybrid. So it doesn't have to be a whole neighborhood or an established neighborhood association. In the old West Lawrence worked well as a pilot because they had some a group internally that we worked with that were focused to learn uh, about traffic calming and it wasn't just staff presenting an idea. So, well, and you're gonna, you know, get those from more organized neighborhoods, I guess. And so, in terms of a equity discussion, if you don't get proposals from the whole from a whole neighborhood but you've still got a neighborhood that has some, has some big needs. Um, that might be a way of addressing some of those, mm-hmm. but I just didn't know how you, you know, you know, if, if a hybrid approach, how, how you would divide up the budget so that you, you know, we're still able to do a neighborhood, but, but get some of these other, other priorities out of the way also. So I really like what this discussion is going and, I feel like this ties back into our study session where we try to figure out how do we solicit various projects. Um, So I do agree that 
you know, though it's good to holistically look at an entire neighborhood that does kind of starve the budget for everything else that's happening in the meantime. So it's good to have like a couple things here and there to make sure that either disorganized neighborhoods or very isolated problems still get solved while we're also solving the larger, trickier ones. Um, Dave or Dustin, just out of curiosity, how much do you think, I mean, just throwing out a random budget number, if we were to add to the NTMP operating budget, do you think 100,000 would be an appropriate amount to be able to cover, say, 10 traffic calming issues a year? Um, I mean, it, it obviously widely depends on what you're doing for traffic calming. Um, yeah, I don't know if I could give a number. I mean, the the yeah. time and the the, the cost, a lot of the cost is in the time to do to do the work and the engagement and stuff. So that's where I don't know if we could do ten, um, but I think we could do more smaller scale projects. Um, but uh, do we think a hundred thousand dollars would be a reasonable amount to ask of city commission to add to this operating budget in the in the name of community engagement? connected city, safe and welcoming neighbors. I mean, it checks a lot of boxes and I know the city's not exactly flush with cash. But, yeah. Well, um, we, we haven't spent our full allotment the last couple of years. And so until we're able to do that, it's hard to ask for more, for more money. What has been the biggest impediment, I guess, to not spending the full allotment. So Dustin talked about police not being able to devote as much time as we'd have hoped. Have there been other issues where we just can't spend the money? Well, I think we had reserved a chunk for the permanent installation and all this. So, you know, naturally we hadn't spent that. Originally we were going to, when we started this way back, we kind of delayed the rollout with COVID. But then when we started coming back, we were originally planning on spending some of that money back, I think in 2020, we rolled it up to 2021. And so um, I think we could, uh, once we start, if we were going to build traffic calming, that will uh eat up the money pretty quickly but i think we need to um determine how to how to go about the process of determining what to put where and how and, and the cost of it so i think we probably need to do some of those things we talked in the study session where you're you're basically getting the data already but there may be a better way to aggregate it to instead of doing it the old style way where you ask everybody within was it like you know, like a hundred yards of the potential traffic calming device, if they're on board with it, you just get a higher level of hit for that particular spot, right? So if 10 people tell you that there's a speeding issue at 8th and Alabama, I'm like, hmm, clearly there's something going on here. Let's maybe focus on this one instead of the one person who claims something out on 1200 road. Um, so if we were to maybe improve the collection, the data collection of those traffic complaints, perhaps that could be the way to kind of recreate the old traffic safety commission's way of soliciting projects. Um, so I think by getting that printout of however many uh, requests you get in a month, that could help having the conversation with GIS to see how we could better collect the data. I feel like we already kind of have the tools. We could just maybe use them more effectively instead of having to create a whole new method to solicit these projects. Um, like I, I actually didn't know about this tool. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit. So it's nice to know that it's out there already and it just could maybe use some tweaks to kind of get the information that we need. Um, and then in terms of the dollar amount, yeah, it's obviously it's impossible to, to say how much, right? Do you want to do 1% of the projects? Do you want to do all of them? But we should, we need to build the list first, right? So that's kind of how the sidewalk program went. Like first figure out who are the priority neighborhoods, how much is it going to cost? And then we'll figure out the budget from there. So, um, I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I really like where this is going. 
do we have any other ideas for how to I don't like where it's going. Okay. <clears throat> no, it feels like it's going back to where we were. And um, what we had was a long list of unfunded traffic calming projects. We had no involvement of the neighborhood associations. And it concerns me that this is swinging the pendulum back too far. There isn't a bunch of money waiting around for us to do traffic calming. So the, benefit of this approach is it actually engages an entire neighborhood and we all know when you calm one street there's spillover effects on the other streets so the whole neighborhood really needs to be engaged if you've been in a neighborhood where the old system created a change i mean generally you didn't know about it until after it was done and having a temporary installation kind of brings everyone's attention to it if they didn't hear about it beforehand. So that's a, an effective strategy in this new approach and asking the whole neighborhood. I mean, I, I don't know. I keep, I feel like this is the unattended by some, but the, the benefit of really this approach is there's an entire neighborhood that has been engaged in this for better or worse. And that builds a stronger neighborhood. So I agree that it is good to get the whole neighborhood involved where I'm I'm struggling with doing only the large neighborhood method is the equity issue. So a lot of neighborhoods don't have greatly organized neighborhood associations, if at all, and often those are the poor neighborhoods. So that creates a bit of an issue in that if the only way in is by your neighborhood association applying for this, if you live at 27th and Iowa, you're kind of screwed, right? And that's an area that probably needs some help. So, I mean, this is, I feel like a compromise to not go all the way back because we don't want to do just a, an isolated project that has unintended consequences, but do what Dave was saying is like, if you're seeing a lot of hits for a single street, maybe go out and, you know, observe what's going on. Um, hypothesize if we did divert traffic here, would it cause waves elsewhere and screw other things up? And if so, let's hold off. But if it's not, it's, if it's isolated, add it on the list. Right. Um, so we do have something that we didn't have before and that's the transportation disadvantage map mm -hmm. so there's a way to probably introduce an equity dimension and I, I we haven't had a chance to talk about the process for neighborhoods to apply i don't think it is fair that you know it's only one way to get on the radar of the city to do the work mm -hmm. it we need to think about you know it worked to get us a pilot but at the end of the day it it does seem like the neighborhoods that are most organized and ready to go are going to benefit from that. So another approach would be to say, here's parts of town we know are the most disadvantaged based on our map. And we can go back to even the old list of approved calming devices. I'm curious how many of them are inside that area. I'd rather have staff kind of put some consideration for what is the right area and how would you propose it be engaged? Um, because it doesn't have a neighborhood association, perhaps. And I'd be curious, like, what does that process look like? You know, is it just postcards and meetings? I mean, the city has a lot of techniques for going out and, and informing people, but something that's less driven by the one person on the street who talks to a few neighbors. I mean, that's how the old process worked. And then you ended up here, people mad because they didn't know about this. I mean, that's that's where I don't want to go back to that. But if we can figure out a proxy for 
neighborhood engagement at a scale that makes sense to the staff. And I think that feels like a good second iteration of this one that's not dependent on a neighborhood being organized. Cause I agree. I think, you know, not every neighborhood's organized. There needs to be a way to engage those, those residents outside of having that um, neighborhood organized. So is there a concern that by focusing on only cohesive units, whether they be an organized neighbor association or not, that we're going to be missing those isolated projects that could potentially have a big impact, but otherwise won't get done until the neighborhood gets gotten to. And if we're only going to do one neighborhood at a time and it'll take one or two years, I mean, I'm going to be a grandfather before we get out to some of the <laughs> I mean, some would have said you'd be a grandfather before those unfunded traffic calming projects would ever get done. That's true. But so, if we can at least show the magnitude of what's at stake, then at least we can much more easily petition city commission to get more money. If we have no clue how much it costs, we're kind of at a loss, right? And we never I mean, look at it. City commission's always struggling to have enough money to do everything they get petitioned to do. Yeah. I, don't, I, mean, I don't know that this one's going to... I don't know. Suddenly become fundable. I mean, we got the sidewalk mayor right now, right? So, <laughs> well, I guess what I would I would like to see is a way to propose something that isn't dependent on an organized neighborhood, mm-hmm. and I think that's come it. back come back with something that says, "Hey, we've got data from you know the concerns uh, map. This is in the disadvantaged area that we identify with our equity tools." and present something that looks like a neighborhood. Maybe it's not defined by the current planning department's process, but from your perspective, it feels like uh, the right size of a project. And then propose how, we're, how you're gonna engage them. You know, is it, cause this is, it's a different approach. You're not starting with a neighborhood group that already has a committee. Um, I'd be eager to see something like that. I think having it just driven by a couple individuals doesn't feel quite right to me. It feels a little bit more like we're going back and things are going to be not very coherent. Um, I mean, I won't be the entire program. I don't think that's a... No, I think it has to be a, probably a balance of these two where, you know, neighborhoods can come together and initiate something or staff can recognize, you know, when there's an inequity and they can say, we need to do something here. And here's our rationale and, you know, let us consider that. So maybe it's not, maybe it's this year we're going to do finish out the neighborhood thing. Right. Next year it's going to be here. It's going to be a different process to engage because it's not a organized committee already. I guess I'm just still concerned that at the pace we're going, that no traffic calming will happen anywhere but the neighborhood currently in question that that's tough to swallow it is um, i mean I, I love the comprehensive approach but i do like what's been put forward as kind of a mix right of you know you don't spend all your budget on just the big neighborhoods you also spend on just i mean say there's one problematic street in a development and if you just fix that street they don't have any other cut throughs you fix the neighborhood which is awesome um something that is a conclusion that otherwise may not have been reached for 25 years um, so I don't know. I, I would think, still advocate for a mix. On. I mean, I think that's what staff might propose. Yeah. Like, here's a neighborhood. We think there's this area that if we can improve it, it'll impact the whole neighborhood to their benefit. I mean, that, to me, that's, 
I'm not ruling it out. I just think it ought to be less dependent on the lone resident right. and more driven by staff's understanding of that part of town. And, you know, in some ways they're, they're kind of trying to represent the data they know. And if we're driven by that data. Would that um, be a more acceptable way instead of the old way when, you know, one person was submit a petition, like, like look for a hotspot. I mean, it is kind of like still a little bit of community driven process. I mean, if a neighborhood doesn't complain, then I guess staff don't know, but I, I assume you also have other information, you know, that isn't necessarily dots on that map. So to me, it would be useful to put the first frame is, is it inside the um, area that we've already you know, kind of prioritize for transportation investments. And inside that space, it feels like a smaller scope. Is there anything in there that makes sense that do you think you could improve on, you know, the transportation network? I mean, it seems like a, you know, some sort of a prioritization scheme for, um, you know, for those projects, those smaller projects. And it, like you said, it could be part of this, part of the transportation disadvantage. It might also be, you know, crash data or, you know, some other other kinds of factors that, that weight those areas and that staff kind of is able to look at that and, and say, you know, this is a, this is a higher project on the, on the whole list that'll have an impact and, and not just a spot impact, but, you know, at least, um, you know, something that may be smaller than a whole neighborhood, but, but something that won't create problems <laughs> the next street over, I guess. And, you know, I mean, staff was able to recognize those kinds of improvements, but just, just doing it like it was done before. I don't, you know, I would like to not, not go back to that. So it sounds like we kind of have maybe two competing visions here, either keep only with holistic neighborhood approach or do a hybrid of one neighborhood at a time and also small projects. I'm kind of curious, some of the quieter members of the commission, if they'll have any opinion one way or another, because eventually we're going to have to give some kind of unified recommendation to staff. I have a question because isn't that, I mean, I was under the impression that the Oriad neighborhood is a pilot. So if we come up with a solution that works for them, that, that could apply to other neighborhoods that have a similar configuration, right? They have the, the, the grid that they exist in. I mean, so you're, you know, they're going to solve some, by going through this process, you're going to figure out you know, some of the other neighborhoods adjacent. I mean, there's, I mean, we're trying to learn from this one neighborhood is what I thought that process was about. It's a pilot. So, so that could solve I think some the, areas. The pilot would still, um, like the lessons learned are not immediately transferred into other neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood would still have to apply for that consideration. And then they would go through a similar process where they would develop a proposed, you know, scheme, and then it would be installed temporarily. There would be data collection, community engagement, oh, okay. and then a decision to be made about the permanent installation with the idea that there's, you know, some budget that they would be working with. So that's yeah. pilot more is around that 
process. And if the process works well, then the next year we would try another neighborhood, the next year another neighborhood. And what I think we're introducing is if if using the neighborhood process needs to be tweaked, there's some other way to do this kind of larger scale, but maybe not too large, kind of area traffic calling. Mm -hmm. um, in, in addition to the neighborhood process. Yeah. Or as part of it. Like if we can see there's a neighborhood that could benefit from traffic calming because of the data, the crash data, everything, mm -hmm. we know that'd be a good investment. Maybe we do it proactively without waiting for the neighborhood to be organized. Um, kind of what I'm imagining is trying to get ahead of like weeks and we can see a problem, even the neighborhood doesn't tell us that. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. I mean, does it seem, I feel like you guys have all kinds of data and all kinds of opinions and you're needing, uh, you know, a trustworthy process to kind of put those things in a list of priorities. And like what Pat was saying, I mean, if there's data that you can, imagine would come to bear on that and we can help you define the scope of making that list not suddenly balloon to 20 things but you know there's a way to score it <clears throat> you've done a great job with the you know prioritization of the bike and ped project so it's like is there another way to think about neighborhoods or smaller geographic areas of town where they can be kind of seen as projects and then they get prioritized. I don't know. <laughs> I think some of it, to be honest, so I think we need to see the old West Lawrence project through and see what we end up putting in there. For, and yeah, I, I think that's not a bad Because I think the cost of what they may want to do may just not be feasible. Um, haven't really dived into it yet, but uh, so I think that may help. Um, but yeah, we, we know where some of the problems are at, but it's all, it's, it's the, what you do and who gets to, who gets the say and what the cost is. And I'm more, I'm less worried about the cost. Like we, I say that, but we still need to think about it. So with the old West Lawrence said, we want to do something that's effective. We don't want to do something that's cheap and not effective. Um, and so it, it it really depends on the situation. But the to be honest with you, when we get the when we get calls or complaints, it was like, well, we're, we're we have this neighborhood traffic management program now, and they're like, well, we don't care about that neighborhood, or you're spending all the money on one neighborhood, and that's going on for a year, and you know, there's other needs, and so that's I think the challenge, and it, it's just, it's expended so much of our resources to focus on. The neighborhood that I think it we should still do that. We don't want to go back to the old system. We don't want to go back to a single request and evaluation. So, but if there's a couple of streets or a smaller subset of a neighborhood that wants traffic calming and we know there's a problem, I mean, the I, we have we have the devices to go out and get the data quicker than we used to, and. Um, so that might that might be something that we do just try to hit some hot spots say hey this would alleviate the problem and maybe it's not the we don't have a, a scoring system it would it'd be so difficult on how you would score it like like the non-motorized we could take a shot at it i guess but 
you know, if it's hits it at equity, it gets some more points or transportation disadvantage area, maybe it rises higher. And, but um, I think speed and volume is important too, to have some of the data to be able to say, well, this, these streets are, there's definitely a problem. Um, I think speed, volume, lack of sidewalks. I mean, those are things that make it feel less safe. So in the interest of moving things along, just because it just hit 9 p.m. not too long ago, I feel like in the short term, we don't really have the data or the bandwidth to figure out a new prioritization program. I think that's where we're trying to head to at some point, right? At this point, it's it's selecting neighborhood is relying on volunteers and on people who are particularly vocal, which is not ideal in the long run. It should go to places that kind of really need it, whether they have the means to organize or not. And I think that's going to take some time. And I think until we figure out what that method is, we still need to keep this thing moving. Um, so I think at least for the immediate future, it makes sense to me to kind of stay the course. We'll deal eventually with how to figure out which neighborhood gets the treatment and what smaller projects might come into play. But I think we first need to work on that. So we first need to figure out what kind of projects come in here, or rather what kind of complaints come in, because we don't really know at this rate. Um, and if there's a better way to aggregate the data so that we can use that in this eventual index to try to figure out either individual projects that are good and isolated or entire neighborhoods that have, that appear as hotspots. But I don't think we have that data yet. So I guess with the commission's <laughs> interest and approval, would we be okay with kind of staying the course as is, but actively working towards trying to get a better, more, more organized approach, possibly with the study session coming up or bringing in uh, MPO or um, uh, Ferris Muhammad on this and just kind of see like how can we do better but I don't want to, to delay the projects while we get our you know our index up well I mean I think just the first bullet is where I'm mostly kind of concerned just saying individual streets can apply just feels too much like it, it Feels too much like what we did before. I agree. I don't think it should be that that small ge geographic areas should be able to apply for the pilot program. I think there should be a way to figure it out, but it'll probably come from the data that we collect. I don't think it'll be by individuals who are who are particularly active because that that would probably skew in a certain direction that would probably not be equitable. So I I agree that we do want to eventually deal with smaller geographic areas, but we're not there yet. And I don't think for the immediate future we should keep that first. Um, Bullet as it is. Does that sound reasonable to everybody else? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think the second bullet, awesome. Um, third bullet to me sounds pretty good. Um, I think it's really good to have some kind of metric that you can work with that you can point back to and say, yes, we actually agreed on the speed. I don't think it'll maybe stay that way forever. It's it's like the sidewalk program. It's gonna evolve, right? So for now, I'm okay with it, and we'll kind of see where it, it takes us. That's what I'm thinking. Um. Well, I think also that third bullet kind of goes back to saying, you know, we, we know there are certain standards we used to use and changing the program shouldn't have led to like streets suddenly getting traffic calming that didn't rise to that same level. So it right. was kind of like, you know, that wasn't a bad standard. Yeah, it, just, it just led to a long list of unfunded projects. So, yeah. Okay. Are we generally good on that, Dustin? Does that make sense? Do I need more clarification? 
<clears throat> that the first bullet we don't necessarily want to stand at as is. We're going to keep working on it offline, but it won't necessarily be an explicit part of the NTMP at this rate. Okay. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And sorry, oh, there was one more thing that was odd. At this point, sorry. I mean, if you're going to extend the engagement with Old West Lawrence, do you have a, do you even expect to do any call for proposals? I mean, so this That's is really done. Yeah. yeah. So we don't need approval on this tonight. We just wanted to keep momentum going. And, you know, we were spending, we we're trying to pad this into the budget, but we wanted to recognize that we needed to make some changes to this. So this one to start the conversation on it, but we can, um, I think the feedback we've heard is great. I think we're struggling with how to, to do this in an efficient way, but also be, you know, do effective community engagement and be strategic. So that's the, those are our challenges, but, uh, um, so we don't have to make any final decisions tonight, obviously, but, um, we can table this to a future study session or item where we can think about it a little and see how, how the old West Lawrence, uh, pilot project, uh, evolves and then, and, uh, but we definitely, you know, before we go forward with another, uh, project would want to have revised criteria adopted. So I had one final technical quibble, um, for under section six, based on what Dave went over in the, the study session, I think it would probably be a good idea to add school area traffic control to the list of exceptions since that's covered elsewhere. Um, and you, you may want to take off traffic signals because in a way like yield signs and other signs are traffic calming. So we may not want to necessarily pigeonhole ourselves away from that just yet, but that's just a suggestion. It's not, you know, feel free to use judgment on that one. So earlier you had mentioned the possibility of a committee and are you still thinking about that or? I think we need to know more about the data and have a talk with GIS and how I'm envisioning this is maybe a study session or a full agenda item with probably Jessica, who's been also responsible for a lot of those indices that we use to, to rate priority of like sidewalks and bike paths and stuff like that. I feel like she'd be a good person to bring into this discussion. So we can talk later if this is going to be an agenda item or a study session, but it's, it's going to require a deeper conversation. And I don't know if we need a committee yet, but I think we'll see soon enough. If that's an appropriate step. Are we all good? Is there anything else that we, that was a pretty good discussion, I think. Sorry, so long-winded staff, but I certainly appreciate you sticking with us here. Um, cool, well, in that case, shall we move on to agenda item number three, five-year plan for non-motorized projects? Sorry, Jake, to have you at the end here. This wasn't originally at the end. <laughs> it was you, World West Lawrence. So that is Sorry. quite all right. A uh, little little change of pace here. So um, good evening, everybody. I'm Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager with Municipal Services and Operations. And I'm here tonight to present the five-year plan for non-motorized projects. So the five-year plan for non-motorized projects um, really is how we allocate the resources in the five-year capital improvement plan um, for the city. Um, 
every year this plan evolves and uh, really we bring it back to you each year for recommendation and the city commission for approval. Um, so really what that means is that um, a recommendation of approval of this plan uh, dedicates just funding for the year one projects of the plan. So 2023 projects, when you look at that list, um, again, so all the outlying projects on that list they may change. They're probably going to change. It happens every year um, for many various reasons, um, such as grant opportunities that arise, direction from the Multimodal Transportation Commission or the City Commission, and when we actually uh, revise our policies like the non-motorized projects prioritization policy. Um, so how do projects end up getting chosen and placed on the, the list there? Um, that really goes back to the non-motorized project prioritization policy and the scores that that generates. Um, we, we try to do our best at, at using the top scoring projects and then plug them in given the budget that we've got from the city commission. Um, and um, with that being said, let me jump back over here and we'll zoom into the plan itself. Getting there. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Um, so um, on a large scale, you can break this project into two, two or the, the plan into two lists, one for bicycle projects, one for pedestrian projects. Um, the, the large idea there is to try to get some um, balance between the projects in each list. Um, we, we can't always achieve that, um, recognizing that some projects um, are going to have larger scopes and scales than others. Um, also, we've got uh, some shared use paths on here in the bicycle project list, which does have some benefit for pedestrians. So it's just something to kind of keep in mind. Um, with that, I'll jump here into the bicycle list and zoom in a little bit closer so we can see that better. So um, the theme here on the bicycle project list is the 6th Street shared use path projects. Um, this really is kind of a carryover from the previous five-year plan. Um, you, know, you can see there from 23 to 26, um, that's what dominates the, the project list. Um, where we've got to set up as we start really with the, the shared use path on the east side at Wisconsin and work our way the West Monterey Way. And then in the 2027 year project is actually the, the 13th Street Bicycle Boulevard. Um, as you recall, this is kind of the companion project to the 21st Street Bike Boulevard that was constructed here two and a half-ish years ago. Um, there are some funding constraints there as well as some other issues there that prevented that one from being built at the time. But including this in the plan recognizes that it's still uh, a highly prioritized project and we've already put some effort and, and resources into that project. And as I move over to the pedestrian projects, um, I'm not gonna go into all these in, in great big detail. The maps are included um, in the agenda item. The only thing I was really gonna point to was are your 2024 projects. That's um, the, the Safe Routes to School project that we've applied for the Transportation's Alternative Grant. So we're, we're kind of assuming a grant award with that. You know, Nothing's certain, of course, but we've had some good success in the past on that. And we wanted to make sure we got that into the program. And then zooming out, I'm just going to touch on this last table here. That really is just the cash flow um, of the five-year plan, showing how these um, pro projects and their estimated budgets work with the funding we've got. So, you know, I think it's important to show that we've got a, you know a $76,000 balance through the the life of the five-year plan, indicating it's a workable plan. 
Um, with that, I would just uh, lastly reiterate again that, you know, when we, we look at um, recommending approval of this plan, it really just dedicates the year 2023, your projects. We're going to evolve this plan next year and it'll be a little bit different. So those outlying projects, you know, being approved tonight, don't set them in stone by any means. And uh, I, I think with that, I'll be happy to turn it back over to the commission for discussion and questions. All right. Thanks. Thank you. I think we could probably just run with public comment now and just see if anybody has any, because almost all these questions are going to be technical. So um, is there anybody online who has any public comment? Is anybody online? Is there? All right. Well, back to the commission. Um, does anybody have any questions, comments they wanted to open with? I just like I didn't have a chance to go back and look at a at our proposed plan a year ago. Are there any um, projects for 2023 that are on this plan that were not on there last year when we looked at this? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say that the the pedestrian project list really got scrambled, and that's because we just recently here within the last couple of months revised the non motorized project prioritization policy. So that whole list got scrambled. And so most of these projects on here, you, you may or may have not seen before. I know the, the P15 there in 26, um, we, we've talked about in the past, it's still, you know, kind of um, justifies being included on the list just a little bit further out. That kind of a follow-up question on just general arrangement here. I'm, I'm probably getting my prioritization plans and CIPs confused. For some reason, I thought that the last time we looked at this, there was also a section now for sidewalks that had been sort of evolved from the sidewalk rehabilitation program, like sidewalk gaps or repair, and also intersections may have been here, or crosswalks at one point were a part of this, right? Uh, yes, so that'll be the, the, the next iteration of the non-motorized, you know, the next set of revisions there will include the um, addition of a scoring and list for sidewalk replacements. Again, that that is like you said, pulled out of the sidewalk improvement program. They're the sidewalks that are, are too bad to do spot repairs on. Um, that's the planning work's got to be done there before we can get it a list produced. Okay, that makes um, a lot I, more sense. And I believe the crossings will be part of the work that we're having Trek um, mm -hmm. consulting for um, as part of the, the offshoot of the discussion I think they've had with the city commission here recently. Yeah, right. I think there's a lot of crossings that... The, the, we've identified a lot through the public... Uh, uh, outreach with the pedestrian plan, but we want to evaluate those and start plugging some of those projects. So there's a lot of potential crossing projects that could be added to the list. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Cause they still have to come up with kind of the, the thresholds and the criteria for actually selecting those. Right. I think that was part of their scope, right? Yeah. Okay. For, for what treatment to use where. Okay. That makes sense now. Thanks for setting me straight here. Oh, and then safe routes to school. How does that, factor in some of these projects are safe routes to school or is that a totally separate pot of funding i always forget this no so yeah the the safe routes to school plan feeds into the non-motorized project prioritization policy okay. so yeah when you look at that project list some may or may not be safe routes to school i don't know if i showed that column um, in the project list like i've done in the past no that makes sense okay i got it um, was the loop project from Peterson Park East already covered under the last year's budget? From Peterson Park East, um, the ones currently being constructed? Yeah, that's already covered, right? Yes. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> I, haven't, I don't live in that area anymore, so I haven't followed it very well. Okay. Does anybody else have any other questions, concerns, comments? 
just trying to remember when the funding for the sales tax uh, sunsets is it 29 either the end of 28 or 29 maybe it's march of 29 okay yeah we're getting close to the end of having this dedicated funding i mean in my mind and it's five years yeah like we're gonna start to see yeah the five years is not a locked in thing you know five years from now so some of these decisions are going to feel more consequential because we're making these choices (laughs) and that list of unfunded is going to stay unfunded if you know there's not a dedicated source of funds although the good thing is a lot of these can jump to a different pot of funding so i mean with the application and subsequent awarding hopefully of transportation alternative grants we can defray a lot of the costs and get more on the list and then there's the whole cip thing where there is they're a part of a different project entirely that's on you know a more car oriented street project that's going to have pedestrian and bike inclusion so for example east night street or is that east night street right so from iowa to arkansas and beyond i think dave you were saying that it's it's scheduled for reconstruction in a few years anyway mm-hmm. so it makes sense to include bike and pet projects with that instead right yeah i think we're going to do maintenance not reconstruction okay that's but, but it offers the opportunity to do it as part of that project instead of have it as a dedicated thing here which mm-hmm. is any of those synergies we can get that's good so yep. so i i personally don't have any issues with what i see i feel like it looks pretty good i'm glad it incorporates all the i guess feedback and revisions that we've had staff do. So I, unless anybody has any questions or comments, I'm ready for a motion. I, I just have a quick question about the next phase of the loop. Is that is that included here somewhere? No, we don't have um, any loop projects in the five-year plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, big picture, you know, parks and rec, a lot of times programs, those as capital improvement projects. So that's, you know, the, the really the next phase we're getting ready to build will be from Michigan Street to Sandra Shaw Park, and that's a capital improvement plan okay. project. Okay. Yeah, it mm-hmm. seemed like I'd seen those on here in the past. but So, yeah, we do still have a few more gaps out there. Um, they're in, you know, in the rural sector, not even in the city limits yet. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of a, a longer time frame on, you know, getting those built when they get developed or when we can get easements dedicated. That's really what holds those up. Okay. So you you would like a motion, Nick? Yep. I'd like to, uh, this is Commissioner Collette. I'd like to make a motion to approve the, the five-year plan um, for the 2023-2027 five-year plan for non-motorized projects. This is Commissioner Bryan. I second it. Okay. Any further discussion before we go for a roll call? Sounds good. Christina, will you please? Call roll. Damon Baltuska? Yes. Or Bennett's? Yes. Will Sharp? Yes. Aaron Payton? Yes. Pat Collette? Yes. Charlie Bryant? Yes. Nick Kuzmiak? Yes. Douglas Reddick? Yes. Pia Schnacki's absent. Motion carries eight to zero. Thanks very much, everybody. And thank you, Jake, for staying so late for a five minute item. <laughs> <laughs> now we're efficient, right? <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, uh, all right, let's go on to item number four. Consider appointing an MMTC representative to the steering committee for the land development code update. Um, so I can kind of give a quick background on this one because this was sort of collaborative commission and staff driven. So I think originally when, all right, so for anybody who's not familiar with this, um, the city has had a land development code for about 100 years. It gets updated about once a generation or so. Um, the city has recently retained a consultant to to shepherd the revisions and possible rewrite of said land development code. So things like zoning and maybe building regulations, stuff like that. When the consultant was uh, selected and during the RFP process, it was it was pointed out that a steering committee of various uh, citizens and other technical representatives were going to be involved in helping to kind of be a, almost like their own citizen sounding board for the consultant who was going to be doing the rewrite. When that came to actually come up for city commission um, decision, it was kind of snuck in as a consent agenda item um, for not just the steering committee, but approval of the consultant in general, which is not that unusual. I mean, approving a, an expense in a contract usually comes under the consent agenda, but there was like a whole presentation about, you know, who the steering committee could include, what it might, um, what might be in their scope, what kind of board representation could be on it. So that was going to just kind of be swept under the rug. <laughs> um, and we, we were able to kind of see that beforehand and note that there was no transportation representation on the committee at all, which is concerning because we've had um, some success with reaching out to planning commission and trying to build a relationship across that nexus of transportation and land use, which is actually spelled out in plan 2040, our comprehensive plan. So it seemed like a major oversight that there wasn't an MMTC rep or anybody from transportation on the plan steering committee. So through discussion, the city commission kind of retooled the steering committee significantly um, because MMTC was not the only one to comment on it. So um, it's changed a little bit from the original makeup that staff had recommended, but there is now a, a spot for a representative from MMTC to bring that transportation aspect into it. So um, now we basically have to decide who's who's going to be. So um, the committee is going to start meeting sometime in I want to say late June probably, and it, it is June all of a sudden. So um, that's sort of the plan. It's going to be a fourteen member steering committee, like it says in the agenda item. So it's going to last about eighteen months. That's that sounds about right. It's um, these planning related items take a long time and a lot of citizen input and engagement. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a long-term commitment, but it may not be a whole lot of meetings, maybe four or five. I don't know. So it's a little bit of a black box right now, but basically we need to approve a representative. So I'll turn it over to the commission. Any thoughts or ideas? Well, <clears throat> Nick, I think you've done a good job representing us. So my my recommendation would be if you're available that you would be our representative on that steering committee. I fully agree. All right. Mm -hmm. well, I appreciate that. Um, are there any other strong desires to be on it before I just kind of steamroll everything here? Because <laughs> I'm the chair, but there are, there are nine of us. <laughs> Eight here, but you know. All right. I move we appoint uh, Nick Kuzmiak as the 
MMTC representative to the steering committee for the land development code update. This is Commissioner Bryan. Commissioner Payton, I second. Sorry, I realized, is there any public comment? Um, nope. We got all the way to a resolution without any public comment. Hold up, sorry. Um, is there anybody on the phone or Zoom who would wish to make a comment on this agenda item? I believe Michael Allman is planning on speaking on the next item and he did not raise his hand for this one. Okay. All right. Um, is it okay if the original motion stands or do we have to do this again? <laughs> no, it's fine. I think it stands. There's no other comments. We can take the vote. Yeah. Was it Aaron Reese again? Okay. Yes, she can. Okay. David Baltesca? Yes. Laura Bennett? Yeah. It's getting yes. late. <laughs> Will Sharp? Yes. Aaron Payton? Yes. Pat Collette? Yes. Charlie Bryant? Yes. Nick Kuzmiak? Yes. Douglas Redding? Yes. Althea Schnapke's absent. Motion carries eight to zero. All right. Thank you, everybody, for your vote of confidence. I'll try to do MMTC prep. <laughs> um, that brings us to the end of our, our regular agenda item. Do we need to take a break real quick, or shall we launch into staff items next? Okay, other way. Ready. Let's on. launch in. Press on. This might be a longer staff item than normal. We'll see how it goes. Do you want to take it away? Sure. Uh, this is Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager. Um, we're providing an update on the um, raised crossing at um, Haskell Lane and 29th Street as part of the uh, recently completed Lawrence Loop project. Um, uh, prior to field check, um, staff brought a recommendation to Multimodal Con Transportation Commission um, to install some delineators to restrict turning movements there on um, Haskell Lane and 29th Street um, at the, the intersection there, recognizing that there's a, a um, existing problem with cut through traffic and the, the issue, I think it'd be even been even discussed back before then. Um, however, that meeting, uh, there's a recommendation to install a raised crossing, um, at this, um, location there on the loop. And, um, that made it through design, um, approvals and got constructed. Um, and I think, uh, well, there's still some concerns there that it's, it's not having the completely the desired effect of, um, reducing that, cut through traffic or not but uh, that's really where we're at the project's been completed uh, the crossing was constructed uh, to the design plans okay um i think i'd like to launch into public comment immediately on this one um we don't usually do public comment on staff or commission items but since michael's done quite a bit of like historian style research into this um michael if you're ready can i ask oh, a question real quick yes, let's do that first i just wanted to get clear so staff presented the idea of pavement markings and delineators. And does that no longer, is that no longer staff opinion that that would be useful to help with this intersection? I think it probably depend what the, the goal is and we probably want some more internal discussions on that. To increase the safety of the crossing, I think would be the goal. Uh, I think obviously if we restricted um, turning movements there, it would increase safety of the crossing. I guess I'm unclear, like the comment, the last sentence, staff does not recommend changes to the race crosswalk. Get that, but is there any, are you recommending no change to the intersection? 
N not at this time. So did it, did it achieve the goal of increasing the safety of the crossing? Yeah, I believe it did. It's definitely an improvement from the existing condition. All right, thank you. Any other comments before we go to public comment? Okay, Michael, uh, you're up if you're ready. And uh, we're gonna try to stick to three minutes as much as we can, mostly because it's 9.30. Uh, hi, good evening. This is Michael Allman, Sustainability Action Network. Thank you, Chair Kuzmiak. I wasn't really sure if I was gonna make public comment tonight because we submitted quite a bit of information in the written comments. And I'm curious how the commission wants to proceed on this based on last week, uh, last month, your request of staff to provide you with lots of information to review what went wrong and what could be done to fix it. Um, I pretty much said a number of times, you know, what, what I think could fix it. Um, essentially, the 2000, uh, 2016 original goal was addressing the K-dot poor design, which staff recognized uh, that allows some 80, 82% of cut through traffic on Haskell Lane, which is a local street. And they just seemed to throw their hands up in the air and say, oh, well, um, it, it's, it, it, if, if the, the traffic control, whatever done there, uh, is effective, it will be by reducing the volume of traffic and the speed of traffic, neither of which the raised crossing does. Um, typical speed bumps are effective, um, like the ones just discussed in Old West Lawrence. I mean, the temporary ones slow traffic to about between 15 and 20 miles an hour. If this raised crossing did that, everybody would be happy except maybe some motor vehicle drivers, but that's the point. You're supposed to make it inconvenient enough for them so that they get deterred and don't take the, sh the shortcut. By reducing that volume of people that don't take the shortcut, you achieve a higher level of safety for the, uh, the Lawrence Loop bicycle and pedestrian users. So really it's just a matter right now of what is the objective um, we don't have to hash out. I mean, last week you wanted to know why things went wrong. Staff didn't seem to think anything went wrong. And they're kind of saying the same thing tonight. Mm. But obviously it's not slowing traffic. It's not cutting the, the, the cut through traffic. And that's not safer. So that's all I need to say, really. I mean... I'd like to hear what, what the commissioners would, would want staff to do at this point. And I really appreciate your interest and focus because it's been what, um, six years and we spent 17 to $20,000 and really we got nothing for that, but nothing you, changed. So thank you very much. Thanks. All right. Um, I would like to first turn it over staff to kind of address concerns that speeds or volumes haven't 
been reduced? Is there data to say one way or another that speeds and volumes have been reduced um, post-construction? No, we don't have any data yet to show that speed or volumes have been reduced. Um, you know, we, we have a stop control if you're going north, if you're going southbound. I, I believe you would have, you do have to slow down a little bit to, to make that turn and to get over the raised crossing. Uh, probably not um, what's desirable or what the, the community wants, uh, but there is a, a, an added benefit there. But I'd say it's subjective at this point. Okay. Yeah, I guess until we have hard data showing what speeds are going over the speed hump, it's kind of, kind of he said, she said at this rate. So, um, Okay, so I guess I can understand why the design was changed the way it was to match up with the concrete seams and all that to make it work. Um, I guess I'm surprised that there was a variance from city standard. Um, I guess that wasn't brought to our attention after, especially there's a potential for that change to alter the stated outcome of the project, um, which we deferred from the original staff recommendation of um, I think it was a concrete diverter with ballers on top of it um, to try to compromise with the business community who still wanted access and make it easy for the trucks. And we said, okay, let's make it so that everybody can still access, but we're going to slow it down. So basically MMTC, as far as I could tell, tried to make a good faith effort to still meet the objective of making it safer and slowing traffic and possibly diverting traffic. Um, but that was with the expectation that that objective was going to be met by the design. And since it's, it's hard to necessarily prove one way or another that it has met the objective in slowing cars or diverting cars, kind of sounds like the job's not done yet. Um, I mean, as an engineer myself, if the product we put in place didn't fully work, we would definitely be chasing down the product vendors to make sure that it did work or the client wouldn't be particularly happy. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, I don't think that it makes sense to try to tear this thing up and redo it because there probably was a very good reason why it had to match the concrete seams. Um, but I, I do think that we still owe it to the public and the taxpayer dollars that, that went into this to make sure the project meets its stated goals, um, or at least prove that it did. I, I mean, if all it takes is data data collection, you know, so be it. Um, but if that data collection proves that it didn't work, then we might need to address that. So anyway, anybody else? But I guess, you know, I, I, in the absence of data, it's hard to say one way or another. But, you know, I think, you know, from my experience with the intersection, um, it, it doesn't feel safer, you know. And so, um, you know, it, it seems like cars still are kind of crashing that stop sign, which they're not supposed to do, but, but they do. And they also manage to make that curve coming around pretty fast. And so, um, you know, I think... You know, having having the speed data and the and the uh, traffic counts to see what's what's going on there would be would be one step to figure out whether it is actually meeting the stated ob objectives. But you know, from perception, um, you know, safety perception, it, it seems not to be the case. I'm just going back to the original staff proposal and wondering if we could bring that back for consideration. It does have 10 delineators shown on the diagram, um, which would fully prevent any left turns. I don't know that 
we need to fully prevent any left turns. But if six of those delineators are put in place, I mean, I'm not an engineer, so I'm just looking at this going, something in addition to what we've done seems necessary to achieve the goal that we had. So if it's just enough that it says, I can't do this very easily, but I can still make this turn, then maybe that'll help. And then it could still be possible if it doesn't change anything to finish them out and put in the other four. I don't know. It feels a little bit like, um, honestly, like you guys are just resisting this and I, I'm not sure why. And if it's just that the data hasn't been presented and it will show us conclusively that, that the justification you had three few years ago no longer exists, then yeah, bring us the data, I guess. Right now it doesn't feel like that's even been, um, that you're even interested in trying to do that. So I'm confused by that. And just looking back on this, it seems like it wouldn't be very expensive to add in. I can't imagine this would cost a lot to put in delineators. So even if we said temporary delineators and see what happens, you know, in terms of thinking about our conversation we just had on smaller scale. I mean, this isn't really a neighborhood, but I guess in some ways it is. It's a business neighborhood. Is there something we can do besides just ignore the that the issue hasn't been resolved? Um, well, we, we would need to get some, we need to go through an engagement process with the businesses there. If we made any restrictions with putting delineators in, um, you know, that's why we, we had proposed that idea originally. Um, I would tell you, we didn't get speed. We didn't do speed, uh, counts before it was just traffic volumes. Um, so if you're interested in knowing the traffic volumes and that's a priority, you think that's what we should be doing, we can go out and get that. We could get speed counts at the at the raised crosswalk. Uh, if if you want to see what those numbers are. I do believe that would be helpful. I mean, I say that without knowing what the cost of it is. So it's it's staff time. I've, I feel like it would be worth it at this point just because it's part of a showcase, you know, around the city track. And it would be good to make sure that at least all the new construction that, that we do in service of this track is good, you know, like that it conforms to our, our goals and everything. Because it's probably not going to get redone again for a long time. So um, I don't know if we really need to get more feedback from Zaramba and the other guy, um, given that there's already a public record of that happening, unless the ownership has changed or their concerns have changed or the traffic has changed. I can't imagine they'd say any different. They probably still don't like the delineators. Um, but if, I mean, if that's yeah, the option to quell traffic. I mean, for us just to go out and put them in, we're going to get, we're going to need to inform them and we're, we're going to get some pushback on that. And they're going to point to the discussions we had and the decisions we made earlier. So yep. that's what, that's, uh, that's what we need to be prepared for. And so that's, um, we possibly just make it an agenda item, make it clear to the people who participate in the past that this is going to come up again, and then just listen public comment and have a conversation with them at the time. It's really only two guys, right? I mean, I guess there's a couple of other owners, but those are by far the most vocal. Um, 
at least according to our conversation two years ago. Don't remember the other guy's name. But obviously, before we chase this down, it would be good to have the, the, the data. Because if it turns out that is fine, there's no need to proceed any further, I think. So. Um, and I think the, the volume data, I mean, since you do have, um, you know, before data on volume, you know, having that uh, volume counts now, would that would be very helpful, I think. You know, I mean, it would have been nice to have both speed and volume, but... We don't have that, but, uh, but definitely having volume and uh, and and speed at this at this point to see if you know people are violating expectation of what would would be happening at that at that intersection. I mean, if it's true that somebody's going thirty five miles an hour crosswalk, that is a concern. Um, but at this point, it's anecdotal, so there's not much we can really do about it with that information. Yeah. So. I'm also confused, like, in the memo that you presented tonight, it says that it was all done according to standards. Is that, where am I at here? I guess I'm hearing, Nick, I'm hearing you say that it wasn't done according to standards. I would, I and would I'm, defer to stop on that judgment. So I guess I'm not clear about that. The field check plan notes say that everything was supposed to be done to city standards. So does what what was actually done, did it meet city standards or? Uh, this is Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Um, so the, the standard detail for a race crossing only works in a perfectly flat world. As soon as you have any grade on the road, you cannot build it according to city standards. So really what that means is you got to have a little bit of leeway to make that work to fit the existing condition. You know, that, that existing standard calls for a flat top where the cross slope of any trail has got to have some grade on it to drain, right? So we carry that cross slope through the intersection. Um, we also have like a, I want to say it's like one and a half percent on Haskell Lane through that intersection. Um, so that's going to affect the, the lengths of your transitions. You've got to consider the condition of the existing pavement that you're going to match into, um, as well as the where, uh, where the existing pavement joints are in the concrete, because the last thing you want to do is have a, a joint a foot next to the next joint, because you're just setting yourself up for failure there. How frequently are concrete joists, joints spaced in a road like this? Like every 10 feet, every 30 feet? I just have no idea. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sorry. That's all right. I guess I just wonder if if it couldn't be within a, a foot of this rather inconveniently placed joint, would there have been an option to instead of have a 20 foot um, like ramp to have maybe a, a six foot ramp instead, and then just have a slightly higher approach angle for any trucks that were coming in? Like, was there an option to go the other way? I guess uh, I don't recall. I'd have to go back and, and look at the and situation. At this point, that probably doesn't matter. You know, yeah. it's not. It, it, it'd be good note for the future, though, if this is going to yeah, happen again, though. Yeah, right. It's only the last race cross. I mean, in helping to look for us to look at field check plans and, <laughs> and make sure that we're making a recommendation that. Yeah. And, and if you want to make the comparison between, you know, what the standard detail would look like and what was designed and built, you're, you're talking tenths of a difference here. I mean, the angles and the percentages really don't mm. get drastically different. And our standard, the, the race crosswalk is four inches. And this one is a little higher, right? In four inches. That's the way it appears from the profile. So there's, it varies a little, but yeah, so it's not, it doesn't, 
it's not identical to the standard, but I don't know if any anyone we build is identical. But from your perspective, it does comply with city standards. Yes, I would yeah. say so. <laughs> so then I think what we're left with is we thought it would do the trick, but it hasn't. Yeah. So we have a raised crosswalk. We still have a problem. How about we get some speeds on there and we'll show you the speeds and you tell us if that meets the expectations or not. So just based on a very back of the envelope calculation here, it looks like the the difference between the slope that you're getting downhill um, from a, a six foot approach versus a 20 foot approach is a factor of almost three. So it's a three times less steep slope being 20 feet of approach versus uh, six. And again, you'd actually need like analysis to figure out the, that exact difference, but that seems pretty significant if it's three times, which is probably why there are reports of cars going rather quickly over it. So anyway. Northbound? Uh, no, on the southbound section, which it seems that's where the 20 foot, oh, cars going, well, I guess they'd be going both ways over it, right? I mean, so if you're, if you're going over it and you got this long, low ramp, then you can go kind of as, fast as it'll like but but if you have a much steeper drop off you're definitely going to feel that as you go down the other side well and then to your analysis you know the the, the slope is dropping away on that southbound side so really that 20 percent is an extension of the existing slope to match right. into existing so that's probably why it's maybe not as big of a difference in reality like you were saying because there isn't yeah existing slope okay so it's possible that maybe this plan was never going to work, right? <laughs> I guess at this point, the past is past, and we need to figure out what to do to make it good and to first figure out if it's actually bad or not. So, yeah, I would vote. I'd vote. <laughs> if we could make a motion or something, a recommendation to try to get some kind of speed or volume data or both if possible. So any other discussion, disagreement? Do we need a motion or are you guys able to do that? Okay. All right. Yeah. I would motion that MMTC advise staff to collect volume and speed data at the intersection of Haskell Lane and 29th Street over the recently constructed Lawrence crosswalk to be able to compare with any pre construction data that we have. Commissioner Bryan, I'll second the motion. Okay, sorry. Commissioner Kuzmiak was the first. And Damon Beltesca? Yes. Laura Bennett? Yes. Will Sharp? Yes. Aaron Payton? Yes. Pat Collette? Yes. Charlie Bryan? Yes. Nick Kuzmiak? Yes. Douglas Redding? Yes. Alpia Schneck is absent. Motion carries eight to zero. All right. We're going to go into the next uh, staff item T2050 update. Yes. All right. Um, we just have had the kickoff meeting, uh, but not not subsequent meeting. But there has been a there is a survey out right now that uh, there's there's a page for transportation 2050 on the uh, MPO page, and it's just lawrencekansas.org/mpo/t2050, and there's a link in the agenda for that for that page. Um, there is a, a survey that's out there currently. Um, that there's a two-week deadline um, for completion of that. Um, so far, about 400, um, they've received about 400 responses. 
500 of those were registered. I mean, sorry, 50 of those were registered, about 350 not. So um, you can kind of, you can see the uh, the responses on the, um, on the uh, registered, but not the unregistered. So it's, you know, you're just getting responses on about 50. I mean, publicly, you can see that. I'm sure that, that there's uh, additional um, information that would be available. Um, I think um, the timeline basically is um, for the going through the summer is um, the public engagement, stakeholder interviews, and then drafting the uh, existing conditions and draft goals and priorities by the by the end of the summer. And I don't know, I haven't heard uh, from Jessica whether that schedule is still on target. I don't know. Do you know, Dave? I don't. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that that's changed. It seems like everything else seems to be moving along about how it was how it was uh, planned. But there is some good information on on that page, and and also. You know, just encourage you to send out through your contacts, you know, reminders for people to fill out that survey if they haven't done that already. That's a good reminder. I have not taken the survey, and that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> it's pretty short, so it's it's easy enough to, to, to take. And but and you've got two more weeks. So, any other comments on that? All right, let's go to commission items. Does anybody have an item from the commission? <laughs> All right. Let's move on to calendar. We've covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, we covered a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for July, we don't really have anything right now. So it's a blank slate. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we had the public comment on the scooters, mm -hmm. shared scooters. Um, and I think we need to revisit that at some point. Um, might be a good discussion in July to recap the process we went through, the things we looked at. It's been over two years. Um, and if we feel we should proceed with relooking at doing a, what we call at the time a pilot for, for scooters. But um, um, so that that's one thing that I would throw out there for July. Um, the other is the city's uh, uh, city commission uh, come here in June. We are presenting the five-year CIP. So it might be good to just as FYI for you to see what has been proposed in the CIP, what projects are in there. Uh, you know from time to time there's questions and about projects that are in the CIP or why they are. So it might be good, uh, good timing to do that. Um, so those are two things that uh, I'd put on there for July. And we are, yeah, those are the, I don't have anything else that I can fully commit that will be on there in July from our, from our list, but um, we'll work, work with you, the chair and vice chair to see if there's anything else that comes up that we could be prepared to put on there yeah that sounds good i think that's not to overload it while there's stuff kind of churning in the meantime so um unless anybody had any other burning topics that they wanted for a study session
I think we can make the scooter thing an agenda item because we could perhaps, you know, based on the information that we have so far, either recommend reapproval of giving Bird the contract um, or not. So that seems like an appropriate agenda item. The CIP, I don't really know how to work that one. And I don't know if that's a study session or agenda or what. So we'll have to think about that. But otherwise, yeah, that sounds good to me to have it kind of lightly loaded for now, especially after this this meeting. <laughs> and it will be on Wednesday next month, mm. July 6th. So I'm not going to be here that late. So. Send public comment, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so we can pitch in. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if there's, oh, do we need to go over the work plan or that's just for a reference guide, right? Okay. In that case, uh, if there's no other comment, I would entertain a motion to adjourn. Seconded. Oh, I still need to entertain the first one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I need to be entertained. <laughs> Who will first it? All right. I Nick use the motion that we adjourn. <laughs> Doug, I was giving you a shot there. <laughs> I know. I just... Commissioner Baltusco, I'll second that. Sounds okay. good. Yeah. I'll just forget that we need roll call or I'll just say yes. Just all in favor. All in favor. Aye. Aye. Good. Aye. Thank you, everybody. It was a long meeting, but I feel like we got a lot done. So. <sighs> all right.